Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. Today, we're going to do a Steven Spielberg top 10 ranking with special guests, the Extra Credits Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. It's time to rank Steven Spielberg's top 10 movies. Who we really haven't talked about much on the show, even though he's been saving our, it. One of our all-time favorite filmmakers. We're going to do a top 10 ranking system with special guests, the Extra Credits Podcast, Trey and Kelsey. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, everybody. Hey. Good. We're doing well. Thanks for having us on. Of course. Of course. Let's tell, tell everyone about your show, the specificity of like your movie show, what you kind of focus on, and just like plug every platform channel you're on yeah anybody can find us on social on the extra credits i think we're everywhere including tiktok where uh my soul is being constantly crushed there (laughs) (laughs) it's a hard platform to be on constantly uh but um so our podcast the extra credits podcast uh hosted by me and kelsey we try to find thematic through lines in all of our favorite movies and all the movies just coming out in general we try to give extra credit to all films just trying to make observations about the world and some arguments that some of them might have and it's been a ton of fun in, in the time we've done it we have on directors, writers, other podcasts to come and talk about their films and, and break them down in depth. And uh, we try to, I guess, do do it from like a real analytical lens. So it's a lot of fun through that way. Yeah. yeah. Love it. So love cool. it. And we'll be on your show pretty soon, also in November, I believe. And we'll be doing The Last Duel yes. because we love that movie that came out last year. Yeah. One of the best of the year that's really under- 2020. Yeah, 2020. Oh, yeah. God, it's 2022. <laughs> Super mm-hmm. under, underappreciated movie, under-talked about, one of the best screenplays of the last several years. And I can't wait to talk about it with you too. Yeah, I was, I'm excited to do that one. But today, yeah. we're yeah. doing a Spielberg ranking. So, the big guns. So we're bringing kinda, out the big guns. Kind of like how we did with the Harry <laughs> Potter ranking a few weeks ago. We're going to all, we made our own lists of top 10 Spielberg movies. And we'll go one by one. Who's number 10? What's your number nine? What's your number eight? And kind of discuss and debate those decisions. Yeah. Before we get into it, I, wanted, I want everyone to just talk about like what Spielberg means to you as a filmmaker and storyteller. For me, I consider him one of the greatest to ever do it. I think he's the greatest blocker of scenes of all time. I think Jaws is probably the best blocked and directed cinematography-wise movie of all time. Um, for me, his mm-hmm. movies, they can anyone of any age or demographic can enjoy his films. His um, breadth and prolificity, prolificity throughout every genre is just unparalleled. And just his love and pure cinematic excitement can be seen in every frame of his movies and i think he's just such a special artist in american history you two go ahead first yeah i think um steven spielberg is like the way i think about it is one of my favorite directors is ridley scott speaking in the last duel and steven spielberg is like the kind of if ridley scott is the dark side of us ridley scott or um uh, steven spielberg is the light side of us and so i think he's kind of weirdly on a pedestal there is like one of the most important filmmakers of the past 50 years who can kind of find uh the hope in all in humanity um versus the kind of like dour parts of the world that i think other directors like to explore more uh so he's really important to me in that way yeah i think we were just re-watching uh close encounters and at yeah. the end trey was like if this were a really scott movie like everyone would be gone everyone's yeah. gonna get bodied <laughs> at the end of that movie all be dead. absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, similar for me, I, I think 
when I think of Steven Spielberg, I think of this like wonder quality. Um, the first movies I saw of his were E.T. and, and Close Encounters growing up. And we actually, um, my mom showed me Close Encounters. We actually went to Devil's Tower because of Close Encounters. Wow. Um, but I think that like at his strongest, he's looking at this idea of, of when an audience is in awe, like that, that theater collective moment. And, and especially with human connection uh, too, like he does really well with these conversations, especially I think we'll get into when we talk about our lists, uh, his kind of background with family that impacts his movies, but conversations with sons and, and dads and the sounds of home, like these like clamoring noises, you know, um, he has really like realistic uh, yet absurd moments with families. Um, like I think of the close encounters scene where the, the kids just like smashing the baby doll and everyone's talking. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so I think he does a really great job with this idea of human connection, wonder. Um, but also like with his heavy movies, I'm excited to talk about, he, he does kind of highlight this absurdity um, in, in power. Like there's so many different themes that he tackles. Um, and, and then he just has this like overall, like really wonder, uh, wonder lens, this lens of awe. Yeah. Agreed. And you know, what's interesting too, I feel like he also finds a way to sort of, um, make, uh, the normal people feel seen, uh, actually in close encounters of the third kind. It's funny. It came up because I kept thinking about a quote in that movie where someone says that these are just ordinary people going through extraordinary circumstances. And he tends to capture that so well. He makes every film goer see, like feel seen. Like if you're just sitting next to a cinephile and you're an average movie goer, I think you'll have a lot to talk about the end of a Spielberg movie where I don't think you can find that in every director. And also, he's smart about casting someone like Richard Dreyfuss, who really feels like an everyman in a big movie like that. Obviously, mm -hmm. Tom Cruise is in a bunch of his movies, but Tom Hanks as a soldier in World War II, he understands the everyman quality that everyone can relate to. And for me, Spielberg, I think he captures magic more than any director ever has, especially when you go to see his movies in theaters, in cinemas. I'd seen E.T. 20 times throughout my entire life, but we went and saw E.T. for the 21st times in theaters at the re-release this this year, and it was one of the most magical moments of my life. And just to compound on what Kelsey was talking about with the awe, I think he connects that movie magic with the audience so well, whether it be something beautiful and fascinating with a movie like E.T. or even Raiders of Lost Ark, that's so fun and entertaining, but also the tragedy of movie magic because magic's not always, there's dark sides to magic. So then Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, connecting audiences to his story so well, it's so palpable. And he connects with children, he connects with teenagers, connects with adults. If you're, in, no matter who you are watching his movies, he, he knows how to bring you into the story, even connects you to the music, to the sets, to the animals that are in his movies, whether they're dogs, cats, pets, you feel a connection to his movies like no other filmmaker in the world. Yeah, he really is special. And in a way, even the darker films, but most of his films, they feel like when you watch them, it feels like you're visiting an old friend or has like this nostalgic quality mm -hmm. to it, this endlessly rewatchable quality about so many of his movies. And I mean, I can't think of another filmmaker whose movie I've seen more times than Spielberg. And Scorsese's up there, but like not with like all of his movies, but Spielberg movies, you can throw any of them on except for a couple of the dark ones and just watch it over and over again. Yeah, great points. Yeah. All right. How about we get into our lists? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah. Are, are we going to, are we going to be arguing a little bit? Are we going to debate? <laughs> Not What's yeah, happen, de we can debate. I think we can all just like justify <laughs> why we have specific selections yeah. somewhere, but yeah, let's go crazy. Let's go all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down. <laughs> do so it. how about our guests, our guests go first. How about that? Okay. 
Do you want to go? Number 10. I, I will go first. Yeah, I will go first with my number 10 favorite Spielberg movie. I want to say at the top that um, Spielberg hasn't really... I don't actually think Spielberg has made a bad movie. I know there are you know some critiques of some of his lesser movies, but I think it's just because of the the heights that he he got to with Jaws, with Jurassic, a couple of his star films. But I just want to say that because it's difficult to rank uh, a director like this who's made so many just great films. But at number 10, and please don't take this personally, which is why I said the debate. <laughs> I know what he's going to put. Number 10, gonna put. <laughs> we have Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, oh! for me. <laughs> yeah. Jim hurt that. Yeah, hurt. it's tough. <laughs> hey, man, I respect your list, but I, I, need, so, I need some reasoning here. <laughs> Talk me through this. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's fair. Well, I think what I love about uh, Raiders, starting with Indiana Jones, that he's kind of a superhero. This is kind of an interesting like adventure movie, but it feels like a pre-superhero movie, like a pre-Marvel movie almost in that way. I actually don't think there would probably be an MCU without what Indiana Jones does for 80s flicks in general. And, um, you know, I, I find it so interesting that like the Clark Kent of Indiana Jones, the Professor Jones is probably where I find myself as I get older, most interested in. Like I think Indiana Jones would have been, Raiders would have been a top five for me, top five movie for me in my teenage years. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten more interested in the, I guess just the normal indie, like just the, the guy sitting in a classroom, teaching a class and and talking about his artifacts and explaining to agents on a, a chalkboard, like how, you know, what the arc means. Like, I just really find myself immersed in those moments. Um, and we're both teachers and this is our second job that we do with the podcast. And I think that's a part of it too, where I find myself being like, where's the teacher Indiana Jones movie? Because <laughs> that's the one I, I want to see. So maybe with, with Indy five, but, um, <laughs> yeah, there's like a there's a ton of interesting themes in this. So starting off with the positive, like the individual versus the the kind of like fascist group, like Indiana Jones trying to take down the Nazis in here, which is like always the best villain in any Spielberg story because it's such an easy thing for a crowd to kind of rely on to kind of collectively be interested in. So that really works, obviously. And it is the start, like I said, to a lot of 80s action movies as this kind of like escapist uh you know, spectacle movie to go see in a theater. The sets in this movie are incredible. Um, we, you know, I think someone, I forget who did it. It might've been Soderbergh, but somebody put this movie with no sound on and they just created almost like a silent film of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it was, you know, I watched that and it was almost just as good, you know, with just watching it uh, silently. So there's a lot of, you know, things to talk about technically with this movie about why it's so impressive. Um, but like I said, I think if Raiders kind of focused more on, the the journey of Professor Jones and then becoming Indiana toward the the third act, I I find that the kind of second act of like kind of um, the mystery of it all loses me a little bit uh, each each new time I watch it, even though it's still a great movie. And ultimately, I think even though the movie's gorgeous and it's technically great, I'm just more of a diehard guy, if that makes sense. I think it's the best way to put it. I'm I more think, of yeah. like a a McLean guy. Like if you're going to show me somebody who's just like going through it, I just, I mean, the McLean kind of um, indifference is just what I'm more interested in uh, as an action movie, um, you know, watcher. That's an excellent breakdown. Excellent Respect. breakdown. I think we'll get he more. He wants an origin story. We'll get more. Well, I mean, Last Crusade's yeah. kind of an origin story because yeah, yeah. what, what was it he like when he was a story. kid? I so. almost, yeah, I almost went that way too. Last, I do like Last Crusade a lot. Last Crusade is my favorite. Those are great points. And we'll get more into Raiders as we uh, talk about it through all of our lists. But yeah. Kelsey, what do you got for number 10? Yeah. Cool. So I have E.T. at 10. Ooh. Um, wow. And this spot really, I think, could have been given to like, I was going between a couple, like The Post or Raiders. 
Um, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second too. I know I'm sorry to hurt your heart. I know what podcast your title you know, <laughs> that we're on right now. Oh, is Raiders not on it? Is Raiders not on it at all? So maybe I'll start with that. So <laughs> let's start We'd with like the to bad news you from the uh, podcast. There are no incorrect li- lists. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, lists are valid. Yeah, we're just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, Ra- so Raiders though isn't on my list um, for, for top 10 because, well, I didn't watch it when I was younger. And so I don't have like the same nostalgia uh, with it. So watching it as an adult, like I saw it so late, I think I, uh, I just wasn't totally in on on the the character as much i was like wait why are you leaving like marion in the tent she's like (laughs) terrible things are gonna happen to her um but ultimately like for all the reasons like it's technically an an amazing movie all the set pieces are so interesting you could watch it as a silent film like you said trey um you know it's an an amazing movie and iconic like indiana jones is an iconic character so I do want to say that so I don't, you know, get get all this, um, get all the hate um, from the pod. Uh, but so mine is ET though is number ten. Okay. Great pick. Um, so I went with ET ET um, because this is I think the first Spielberg movie that I saw, and even though I rewatched it and I wasn't there were some like slow parts. Um, I really loved the the like nostalgia that I still have with it. Like you were saying, you you watched it in theaters a couple times. I guess like recently. Um, but the the scene with Elliot, you know, flying through through the sky with the moon in the background, so you great. know, his red hoodie on, it's iconic. Um, and I as- associated that with movies for for so long and still do. So it has to go at number ten because of the nostalgia and and it has this like interesting idea of friendship and connection with childhood that Steven Spielberg really. Is, is so great at doing in his movies, like, like we're talking about the sense of wonder and, and these kind of heightened uh, images of like the spaceman, you know, coming in the house. And, and, and he captures this idea of, I guess, the, the memories that we have about childhood, you know, these like really heightened images that we kind of piece together to, to make the stories of our childhood and, and who we are and, and these kind of like prominent details that are kind of hazy and exaggerated. So, um, I, I picked E.T. Um, I also love E.T. just as a character. You know what I mean? Like when he <laughs> is in the river, it's, tra- it's tragic. Um, Elliot. Oh, the river when he's Elliot. like, when he's yeah. like, it's tough. When he's dying, dying in the river every time. It's horrifying. That's a great E.T. That scarred me as a kid. That scarred me. Fun, yeah. Great points. That's well, really well said. It's yeah. And, and E.T. is based on like a childhood imaginary friend Spielberg has. So that's why I think it's such a great film for children. It's such a magical movie. And I think it's got to be in everyone's list. I think it's list. the best kids movie of all yeah. time. It, it's, it's one of my favorite movies of all yeah. time for sure. But Anthony, what do you have for number 10? Number 10, I have Christian Bale's debut, Empire of the Sun. <laughs> it's a really nice. wonderful film. Uh, it's an incredibly moving epic. Uh, Christian Bale, as such a, ki- a young kid, to be the lead of this monumental film, the size and scope of it is just astronomical. But it's so well done. The cast is excellent. John Williams' score. But some of my favorite cinematography and favorite shots in Spielberg movies are in this. Um, it's heartbreaking. It's brutal at times, but also very fun and playful. I think for Spielberg movies, it balances so many tones um, that you don't normally see in any other filmmaker's work like perfectly. Um, and I think it's honestly probably his most underrated film uh, because not many people talk about it to this day, but I think it's really up there in his filmography, Why this is, which is why I have it at number 10. I think it's a really special movie, and it had a really special actor to really make it great. 
Yeah, great pick. Thanks. For my number 10, I got a bold one here. Oh, here we go. I'm going Ready Player One. Oh. Now, I'm picking this oh, because wow. it really, in terms of his career, this was the most kind of adventurous film that harkens back to what he was doing in like the 70s and 80s that really made me feel like it's a Spielberg movie. It's a Spielberg adventure as well as the difficulty it must have been adapting this book. I don't know if either of you have read Ready Player One, the book. Incredible novel. So dense and complex that it's the, the fact that he was able to adapt it and not just adapt it, but make a really good entertaining movie is just a miracle to me because the book is so dense. There's so much in there, but they managed to make a great cohesive theory that blends both live action and animation CGI so well and entertaining. And I think it's a great movie. So much nostalgia, especially anyone growing up playing video games and loving the 80s culture, which is, it's so hot the last like five years. So hot right now. We've gotten a big like rehash of the 80s culture, especially with like Stranger Things. But Ready Player One just has that nostalgia factor factor for me. It makes, it feels like a classic Spielberg movie to me. It seems like so much fun. And again, just like the fact that he was able to adapt it and do it so well, blew me away. I like that pick. And it is a really great movie, so I can I, I'm I'm glad you put that up. There. Thanks, man. That's Thanks, a great pick. <laughs> it, it's, that one is that's one of his more innovative movies yeah. too. He's always trying to reinvent stuff. Um, I know he's coming out with the Fablemans, which is like a almost like a biography, but like uh, it is really cool to see him do new things with technology always, and he's kind mm. of changed the industry in that way. So I think a lot of people kind of are going to ride that wave with that movie. So that was a he's great not choice. A with Empire of the Sun. What's that? Sorry, he's not a dinosaur. He's still adapting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and with Empire of the Sun, I feel like I, I wanted to note because it's not going to be on my list. Uh, but Christian Bale, I don't know how Spielberg does this with so many different child stars, but that's one of the best child performances I've ever seen. And then uh, and Elliot too, and E. T. Like he is bringing out some of the best child preteen performances I've ever seen in movies. It really comes that's down true, yeah. to the director for sure. So that's a great point. I think he just probably just understands communicating with kids and how to do it so well. I think yeah. that's a key to being a director. That's why I think with Chris Columbus and Sorcerer's Stone Chamber of Secrets, those movies came out so well because he is a great communicator with child actors, and I think that's really integral and probably why. Great point. All right, let's move yeah, on to it's number like he's nine. Still exploring. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, I was just saying it's like he's still also exploring these questions that he knows from childhood, like impact him as a as a person today. So I think that's a great point. Like he knows how to understand issues that children are going through and how they like develop into your adult life. Yeah. All right, let's do number nine, everybody. Here we go. Let's do it. Who was first so, last time? Was it Trey? Yeah. Yeah, it was me. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm just, I'm stressing because... <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You guys said the top 10 stuff. And I keep moving everything around like last second before we started this. I'm like, do I want this here? Do I want this to live on the internet forever? I like, want to okay. seem cool, but uh, I also want to seem like I know what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like I have my personal interests, but like I don't want to get hate for it. Okay, number nine, I have Saving Private Ryan. This is probably the Spielberg movie I wish I could have seen more than anyone on the biggest screen possible. Uh, I know this wasn't shot in IMAX, but I would have loved to see it in something like that. And I usually don't like um, kind of sometimes the exploitative nature, I guess is the best way to put it, of war epics. But this one felt really well intended more than other war movies I've seen. Uh, There's no kind of spectacle or entertainment in this movie. It's just brutal. And Spielberg feels really uninterested in entertaining, which I really appreciate because a lot of directors can kind of fall, you know, and tread those waters. And uh, also just the moral questions asked in this movie, which is the most tragic of all, which is like, what does a human life cost? Uh, That's a really difficult question to ask. It's something that a lot of us have thought about over the past few years too. And seeing soldiers kind of ask these questions uh, about Ryan throughout the whole movie, and it really demands reflection from the audience, which I'm sure could have been very heavy for any veterans too. So you have all these kind of heavy questions as like a through line of a devastating war film. You can kind of see how Spielberg has like meditated over contradictions from his childhood to his teenage years uh and he's kind of really done a great job of illustrating them on screen but this is one of his first where he's putting really really big ideas um on screen and kind of taking almost like a chance uh, you know hurting his career because he could have you know went a different route with this and been more offensive in the movie and i think that's where some of the critiques have come where it's maybe not as um direct on some of the commentary as it could have been but i mean i think that's why i like it it's that all audiences can sit down appreciate it and they can talk about it after the fact and there is a lot to explore thematically here um that i think i'm still exploring every time i rewatch it yeah it's Wonderful. a great, yeah, it's a great like choice yeah and the length of spielberg's movies too like there's so many questions i sometimes forget when I rewatch something that a scene was in there or that like a question was in there. So it feels that his movies almost feel like a novel in that way because they're all so long. Yeah. And and, I mean, Sam Pryor Ryan, like he's such a great filmmaker. It shows that he can be very comical and parody Nazis and like Indiana Jones franchise, but then switch it on dial and make it so dramatic and serious and show the cost of war, make an anti-war film, but at the same time show why it's important at times when you, that war is the last thing, it's the last resort, but sometimes it has to happen to prevent pure evil. So he takes a very serious approach in that versus the comical parodying of it in, in Indiana Jones. It's a great point. Like he goes, mm-hmm. I hate, I hate those guys. That's a joke. But then he makes Saving Private Ryan. It's a great point. Yeah. And it gets real. Yeah. Yeah. So at my number nine, I have West Side Story, oh, wow. uh, 2021. New. Yeah. And I think I put this on my movie, uh, my, my list for the top 10 movies, uh, because I, I like musicals, but I don't really like to watch them all the time. Um, and I felt like this one was well done. So I had to honor it. It, it kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a musical, so it can't really explore the, the themes that it's ultimately trying to super deeply because it it has to follow the structure of like the song. So like it it does explore romance, obviously, um, friendship, like racism, xenophobia. Um, Mm. but it, 
it is a little bit more surface level than something like Schindler's List where, you know, there's a lot more dialogue. Um, but I think it's just on my movie because I, on my movie list, because I love the songs. Um, I love the story. I think it's really difficult to redo a, a kind of older story like Romeo and Juliet that we've seen so much. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I love it. And it's on my number nine. It's Great so well-crafted too. Yeah. yeah. I saw, I'm not a huge musical person, but I saw it and I thought it was phenomenal. And, and that was a huge passion project for him. Like he grew up loving West Side Story, seeing oh, it theatrically wow. with his father. And so like, that was a really important movie to him. Amazing. Yeah. To make, but yeah, the cinematography is so well made. The, yeah. the blocking alone. The, yeah. The blocking of the musicals and how he uses the it's sets crazy. to help. He's basically, he basically uses sets and people and props to help basically self-edit while it's a long take and it's just a miraculous directing that's a, that's a movie if you're not a musical person like me it's still important to watch just for the filmmaking aspects mm -hmm. of it it's really important yeah. i think yeah all right Anthony, oh my turn yeah my your turn. turn what do you got number i'm looking nine? at you okay for number nine i have close encounters of the third kind i think that this movie for sci-fi films is up there for all time it has such a great blend of both comedy and humor as well as a great human element to it uh, the finale is just so stunning. The visual effects are so simple, but so well done. Uh, the mystery of what's going on. Richard Dreyfus is an amazing actor and can be utilized in a, in a way like this and really make a movie excel and bring so much, like I said, every man quality to a role. Um, but the mystery with these characters and what they can't describe and what they're feeling and what they're trying to convey, that really, I think, propels the story forward until... You know, these everyone winds up at this finale together, and it was such a, a genius way of showing how, what would the first contact be like between human beings and aliens, and how would we communicate with them? And obviously, music would seem to be the definitive way to communicate with another species, another intelligent life form, because you can assume that music can be used in any kind of intelligent culture and familiar with it. So, I thought that that approach to communicating with aliens was just like so incredible and just visually stunning i don't have it on my top 10 it's okay man yeah, it's I okay i don't have it in my top 10 i forgive you i like it i just don't <laughs> it's think great. it's top yeah, 10 yeah it's great <laughs> what came first contact or close encounters close, close encounters. encounters yeah so he made close yeah. encounters while lucas was making star wars yeah that's right yeah so yeah. quite older they than visited him. the sets but it was after it was right after it was the next movie after jaws i believe spielberg's yes, yes. i think so I think yeah that's yeah. right yeah, it was yeah. 70, 74 he yeah. made it cool all right Anyways, let's move on to my number nine. I'm going Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Nice. I think just execution-wise, nice. such a well-made movie. We have Sean Connery coming in. Plus, the introduction and sequence of young Indiana Jones played by River Phoenix is one of my favorite scenes of all time. It's so fun and engaging. It's just a blast and cross-cutting it to Indy just being Indiana Jones, getting punched <laughs> in the face on a boat. Origins. It's so fun. Indy yeah, Origins. It's, kind of, like, it's yeah. kind of an origin story at the same time, but I think it's a great movie. It's a, connect it's a great movie for like fathers and sons and fathers and daughters to watch. It's really great. Uh, it connects you with that so well, but like the characters are just so memorable. I love when they're in Italy and just it's more mysterious than like Temple of Doom, like solving mysteries and like just doing some puzzle hunting, kind of like it was in the first one, the Raiders of, of the Lost Ark. But I think it's just so well made and so fun, hilarious. The production just amped up. The jokes are better, and I just have a blast every time I, I watch it. It's like putting on a warm sweater. Great pick. The thing with me with Last Crusade is it's <laughs> my favorite Indiana Jones, but I do think Raiders is a better movie. But for, I just love uh, Last Crusade, and it's really because of the third act. The third act, the finale, 
the the steps and the obstacles he has to go through it's like it's un- unbelievable the leap of faith it's so great, great. it's great yeah it's so magical yeah <laughs> great pick. i also just uh it's a great father-son movie because i just took my dad to see it in my la- the last father's day i think at the alamo draft house they do stuff like that mm-hmm. and i forgot i didn't seen it in years just how much of a good father-son movie it is it's really hilarious um I, I feel like it doesn't get enough probably love for its comedy so it's a great pick she talks in her um, sleep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, number eight, I have Close Encounters of the Third Kind, actually. So this is one of my favorite movies ever is Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. And I think that this is Steven Spielberg's Whiplash. This is like him, <laughs> except it's budget. not about him. It's about, <laughs> it's about his dad. Yeah, huge budget. It is a sort of exploration of escapism and shallow obsessions but it's also sometimes none of those things because it mix it mixes together so well the extraterrestrial of it all uh and his movies thematically can sometimes be contradictory but that's why i think they're so profound because so many people can come and explore the movies in different ways and take different things from them um and i think seeing a family break apart the way we do in close encounters in the first half is what really had to this movie had to be on my list for that reason because it's so tragic i think we're going to get a lot of the first act of first encounters probably in the fablemans i would assume it really feels like that was true to steven spielberg and his life and the family drama and the fact that he also tries to kind of like mesh that with the sci-fi mystery of it all it works really really well even though it's you know it, I feel like there's been so many alien movies and like Arrival comes to mind of movies that are trying to explore similar themes about communication. Um, and obviously those look better, but this movie, did, did, did uh, it hasn't aged poorly, I guess is the best way to put it, which I, it always surprises me when I see science fiction epics like this from this long ago. And I wish we just got more alien invasion films that were this, I guess, optimistic because I do. I am a very cynical person. Like, like I said at the top, I'm a Ridley Scott guy. Uh, I love Jordan Peele, Alex Garland. Like, those are my guys. Um, but Steven Spielberg and his optimism, it can kind of like be infectious. And this movie, you can feel that at the end of this movie, you're not seeing tons of humans being wiped away. Like another movie I'm going to be talking about very soon, which I oh appreciate. yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I do like how uh, ultimately he's very positive at the end of this movie, and it's about unity and and finding uh, community and found family, and, and I do love that about this film. Great points. Yeah. All right. So we're at number eight. Yeah. Number eight. Um, So my movie is probably what you were talking about. It's War of the Worlds. Yes. (laughs) And I, this one, honestly, I feel like could move around on my list depending on, on the year or this one's a great rewatch. It feels kind of like, especially with the lens, like viewing some of these movies in a pandemic, kind of like, contagion meets the walking dead um (laughs) and there's a lot of like great interpersonal conflicts you know we have like dad issues and this um and we have the the larger ideas of like people wanting to like kill each other for a car or um you know like the man in the basement who is willing to risk everyone's lives just so he can like kill an alien or, or be a hero and and so like I, this movie is, is just fun and it has all those conflicts in it too. Um, but I always forget the, I, when I was trying to think of the, the kind of like theme of this movie, cause I know it's post uh, 9-11 and there's um, some even dialogue from like Dakota Fanning that, that gets at that. But I think like largely uh, rewatching it, it has this kind of idea of this, this idea of like aliens and, and humans and, and kind of looking at our, our 
society in a more like uh, observational lens or um, objective lens. Like I, I forgot when we rewatched it, Morgan Freeman opens the movie with a quote yeah. about something. It's, it's something like aliens were observing us, you know, as creatures in the Gulf of space and uh, men, you know, moved around the globe with infinite complacency, confident that uh, we like ruled this empire. That is the world. I don't know, something like that. Um, but, but it has like this I- idea of, of these aliens coming and, and we see all these kind of conflicts along the way um, that are really interesting and, and how like panic um, maybe shows parts of humanity that we might not be proud of, mm-hmm. which he, he does in other movies too. But I really, I mean, you might see a theme in my list. Like I love aliens and I, I love um, <laughs> that idea. But as, apart from that, just like great imagery, like the spider, you know, web veins, like blood so in scary. the valleys. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dakota, Dakota Fanning, seeing all the, the bodies in the river floating by. And, um, and I would, when we were talking about close encounters, I would love to see Spielberg's like alien playbook or whatever his like sketches are all his options of aliens. Cause I'm so interested. The aliens in this movie are so funny to me when they're in the basement. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> they're like, they're like, like turning yeah, the bike, the ET yeah. bike. <laughs> Yeah, so but I'm like, I want to see his other options because I love the close encounter. They're kind of like, yeah. you know, little circles. <laughs> I love it. I, and, oh, oh yeah. sorry. You're, you're and next. it has, I mean, that amazing one take of the attack of the town is just remarkable. To, to this day, it's one of my favorite action sequences ever put on film. Yeah. All right. You're next. What's number yeah. eight for you? Number eight. I have another sci-fi film, but not War of the Worlds. I have Minority Report. Uh, starring Tom Cruise. Nice. Nice. This is their other collaboration together. And I love this movie. I love the world they created, the blend of Noir with incredibly high-tech sci-fi. Uh, I love the futuristic scale, but it feels like nitty-gritty, which isn't typical for Spielberg. If you look at like a movie like AI or or Close Encounters, that's not what you were looking that you're expecting, but I think the action in this movie is remarkable. The sets are huge. The CGI still holds up. But it's an amazing concept and the idea of being able to lawfully stop someone from committing something they haven't done yet and then punish them for it. Um, it has such mm-hmm. a great theme of free will and control and law and order, really big themes um, that are explored perfectly because this movie has everything from incredible action and set pieces and CGI to incredibly resonant themes about humanity like all of Spielberg's movies and I really do think it's a highlight I think it's one of the greatest sci-fi films ever made um, from one of the greatest writers of all time Philip K. Dick um, it, I think it's a magnificent film and I adore it great pick yeah. my number eight I'm I'm same with Kelsey War of the Worlds I think it might be one of the most Let's underrated go. sci-fi <laughs> movies of all time this century for sure I don't ever hear anyone ever talking about this movie besides Never. me and Anthony Never. love this movie yeah. and it brings so much fear when I watch this film I, 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 we've seen it a bunch but then I recently watched it on a plane and I was watching it and we started having turbulence and so I'm watching the sequence where the aliens are coming out of the ground and I'm like having a panic attack because <laughs> it feels like I'm it feels like I'm there and, it, and it's so immersive that sequence and it's so Spielberg brought so much realism to like what could happen if aliens came to earth but also only showing the perspective of humans we're never like in the air we're always on the ground looking up at these giant uh, tripod killing machines and the opposite of the optimism that Trey was talking about the Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We have the hopelessness that Spielberg brings to this film in terms of like versus war. Now he does it with Alien Invasion, and it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And if you, if it was the, at the time 
who are you going to have? What director do you want if you're a studio to make a modern contemporary War of the Worlds? It's going to be Steven Spielberg. Absolutely. Some of the most powerful imagery as well. Uh, Kelsey brought up like the red vines and the blood everywhere, but also the downed plane, especially post 9-11, so close to that. It was so powerful for audiences to see at the time, but the destruction and sheer death and, and sheer death and family values, the separation of the father and son multiple times throughout the film and finally at the end of it when, you know, he's giving his son free will to choose and make his own decisions. And, you know, the characters go through tremendous growth in this film and they're forced to because it could be the end of humanity. It's a great ending, great third act. But man, this movie kills me every time. So, And the directing is, uh, again, getting back to his blocking, which I always talk about with him, is in the, especially the first act of this film, there are a lot of incredible long takes handheld mm -hmm. and especially like in the in the apartment with the family and stuff so many of those sequences are done with just one take but the way he frames and blocks and moves the camera he's like editing as he films and it doesn't feel like a long take it feels like it's editing edited but it's not and there are incredible examples of that in the first act of this film but the reason i don't have it on my list because for me the second half kind of takes a plateau and then the third act mm -hmm. it was a bit underwhelming because it starts out with some of the one of the most exciting like first forty minutes of all time, and then for me it just kind of never reaches that again. And when I see mm -hmm. a film with its balance of structure, I, if it starts up at that if that hits that height, I want it to go higher for the next act, and then higher than that for the, for the third act. So for me, it kind of hit the high halfway through, and then plateaued and slowed down. That's why I can't have it on this list. I but that. I do love it. A Another lot. great childhood performance yeah. too with yeah. uh, Dakota Fanning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, an incredible performance. This is perfect because it's actually my number seven. There we go. There we the go. Nice. I'm the odd man out. <laughs> yeah. that's, an easy, that's an easy transition. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so I think Tom Cruise has had uh, a pretty consistent career in the past 15 years in terms of the way he's wanted to act. And I think this is one of those oddball movies for him that I think is probably one of his most underrated performances. Actually, weirdly, next to Minority Report. It, to me, War of the Worlds and Tom Cruise is like a top 10 performance for him. And I think this is pre-Oprah or right around the time of Oprah, whenever that is. Yeah, uh, so. But we were getting some just incredible Cruise stuff around then. Like, do you guys remember Collateral? Oh, like, yeah. Collateral. We were just getting so many good Cruise performances. Yeah. And so um, I wanted to note that first because it really sticks out to me in the first act. Because Cruise never really plays a dude that's down on his luck. Like the character in this movie that he's playing. Like, it's just really a, a, a kind of a dad who's maybe a deadbeat, but also well-intended. And you can kind of feel, again, that Spielberg homage to his life. And uh, that kind of ambiguity around the morality of his character is really interesting to start a movie like this. And then you're easily immersed into the first act, like how you guys are saying. And uh, even though the movie does fall, I think it doesn't really meet, meet the heights of that first act. I'm like really easily immersed into an apocalyptic disaster movie. And Spielberg makes it like very easy for me to do that. But what I love about this movie as watching it as an adult now and in, in like an older lens, I guess, is that uh, because I watched this a lot growing up as a kid, it was on TNT all the time, but I watched it from Dakota Fanning's lens, like as a 10 year old. And it just gets me thinking about like that moment and watching this and not really thinking about, we weren't thinking about as a teenagers watching this about the, the nine 11 years, we weren't thinking about like the post nine 11 of it all. And being around cultural fear mongering of external forces coming in and invading a country or killing it and, and the people living there. And obviously this is like a remake of uh, war of the world's film, but Spielberg 
maybe wasn't always conscious of making direct parallels between post 9-11 and America and this war of the world's kind of like plot, but you can still kind of feel the paranoia that he wanted to capture that I think it was just so successful, or at least I and my like projecting and reading on the movie is really successful. So in that way, I think this movie is very rare because Spielberg is often known for making like these kind of semi-fictional historical narrative films that can sometimes ease off on pushing cultural wounds a little too hard. But this one feels like it was really birthed from some type of internal stress and guilt that I think makes the movie very raw and unlike anything else he's made outside of maybe Minority Report going back to that. Um, so I just, I love that how talented he is at, at capitalizing on these kind of stressors. And instead of like holding our hand in this movie, he really is forcing us to watch uh, the kind of stress that people were feeling around this time. So in that way, it's like an excellent time capsule. 100%. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. I did kind of watch it through Dakota's lens when I was younger. And then now I was noticing things rewatching it where Tom Cruise throws the baseball through the, you know, the window <laughs> and then we have a reflection of, of Tom Cruise. Yeah. And yeah, that was a good point. Good you're, you're, yeah. And he is terrific in this movie. And Obviously, everyone who listens to our show knows we are huge Tom Cruise fans. We are like the ultimate Tom Cruise guys, and he's tremendous Mav. in this movie. I wish they made more movies together. Yeah, he it makes me Spielberg. want, especially between him and this and Minority Report. They they yeah. they know they're both great storytellers. Tom's yeah. a terrific storyteller. Obviously, Spielberg's one of the best of all time. And it seems like Tom's only going to work with McQuarrie for the rest of his career. But um, it's also great to point out that like he never really does play like down your like guys very often he plays damaged characters like born on the fourth of july yeah. or the last samurai but this is a character who's like yeah it's kind of like a cliche crappy dad who yeah. has to change throughout the film because the last samurai character he's a very accomplished military man it's not like he's a bum yeah. he's damaged through war yeah. alcoholism and i think there's a line by dakota fanning that really correlates and parallels to the 9 11 hysteria that we were dealing with for years where when they're getting attacked and driving away she screams is it them is it them is it them She's yeah. when I saw every time I saw it as a kid, I'm, I'm thinking she's referring to terrorists. That's who she's thinking is attacking them. So I think that definitely paralleled perfectly with the culture of the time. Mm -hmm. All right, Kelsey, what do you got for number seven? All right. I have close encounters of the third kind. Uh, so I, I think that this one, like I was saying, where the worlds could have gone above it maybe because I love rewatching that first part, like, you know, um, aliens coming out of the ground. But the reason <laughs> I'm putting close encounters above it on my list for right now is, um, I just, I love like family scenes. I love the, the dynamics that Spielberg has, like, like I said, at the top of the pod, uh, where everyone's just in a room and, you know, the dad's like talking to the kid about wanting to go see Pinocchio and, uh, is helping him with like math homework. <laughs> yeah, he has that great mm. line where, the kid's like, I don't understand fractions. And the yeah. dad's like, well, okay, what's one third of yeah. 60? And he's like, that's a fraction. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand fractions. And uh, so just the, the whole, like, while someone's hitting a baby doll against a wall or whatever, um, just all the like absurdity, but yet realistic things that, that happen within a family. Like, I think he, he does a great job of putting on screen that I don't see in other ways um, where it feels more like dramatized instead of like funny and absurd, but yet still realistic how Spielberg does it. So uh, Close Encounters is is uh, at number seven for me because of that. But also I, I really loved the ending where we have, uh, we all kind of talked about it already, but that moment of awe, like we spent a long time just looking at the spaceship like we would if we saw a spaceship and <laughs> and hearing the music that's so iconic and 
and kind of sitting in that moment of like, whoa, this is wild. And this is the, that moment of wonder um, that runs throughout his films. And and I liked it where, you know, the dad kind of finds this sense of purpose. It's kind of like the movie about, you know, his dad. Um, so Close Encounters at seven for me. Great pick. All right. For me at number seven, I have the namesake of the show, Raiders of Lost Gosh. Ark. I really love this film. I think it is. I think you have a great point where you mentioned how it like is a precursor to superhero movies because Indiana essentially is a superhero. He has his own costume. He goes on adventures. He's a larger than life character. But what I think really sets him apart, obviously, he has no superpowers. He's just a human being. He's just a, a man. So there's always that stakes. Of, when I watch superhero movies, I never feel like the stakes are really high because they're all superpowered. But with this, like anything mm -hmm. can go wrong. Um, he's at risk of losing his life in every situation, but the set pieces, the stunt work in this movie is unbelievable, especially the third act caravan where he literally destroys an entire caravan by himself just with his fists. <laughs> <laughs> but the start, the stunt work, this really paved the way for the future of stunt work in uh, Hollywood films, whether you have the guy going underneath the, the van riding, like holding onto the front of the truck with the wheel right in front of him. It's just unbelievable. The balance of humor and comedy with the epic scope and nature. And I think, I think Indiana is just one of the greatest characters put on film. I like Indiana Jones way more than Han Solo. Hot take. Mm -hmm. I actually don't even think it's that hot of a take. I think, it's, I think it's just facts. <laughs> <laughs> and then John Williams with his legendary score, that theme that everybody knows. When you hear that playing, it just like... And inspires you and makes you feel good. And this is a movie where I can revisit time and time again. And we watched it the other day and we were like, oh, here's this part. And oh, man, we get a, here comes the famous reveal and just the wit. It's just everything about it yeah. is incredible. I adore the film so much. Just just set the record straight. Harrison Ford's more than a man. He's a golden, glistening <laughs> god. All right? They don't make him like that anymore. <laughs> great, great. They really, points, they really don't. Uh, I think he's still in a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my number seven, I have Minority Report. I think this movie is so well made. And, you know, Spielberg, He's I think he's so great at creating tones, different tones in his movies. But Minority Report, when you're watching futuristic, near-future sci-fi films, it's important to create a different tone than what it feels like with every other movie we see throughout the year. And I think Minority Report, he really nailed the setting so well with the aesthetic, the cine cinematography, the coloring of this film. Tom Cruise, obviously, is phenomenal in this movie, but playing a damaged character, the loss of his son has led him to becoming a drug addict, and he's also just like kind of like a super cop at the same time for the Minority Report, like special, uh, what's it called? Like, precog. Precog, right? Yeah, precog. Yeah. And like you brought up the, the concept of uh, free will versus fate. Are you absolutely going to commit a crime or do an action whether or not you are doing it yourself or gonna do it. it's kind of like with donnie darko where you know he's following this path but if he keeps following that path what if he diverts from it is he preset going to do this forever are we in a different reality is a different arena in a in a program right That's now a whole other mind so job the, the concept of free will versus fate is so fascinating in this movie and the fact that they turn it into a law and they have these precog telepaths that are able to somewhat see glimpses of the future and what things are people are going to do but able are able to specify it specifically for crime and how the government took control of them just to focus their powers on that is that a questionable thing to do should we let the world play out as it is and not interfere with reality and inter interfere with fate 
if that fate's true or and not. And for the DC to be the city of all cities. And as are, well. are are they altering fate themselves by just focusing secure fo- focusing only on crime? What about other things that can be prevented or or can help the world with the with this precog uh, ability? I think it's a great film. Great cast besides Tom. We have Colin Farrell, Max von, Max von Sydow is phenomenal in this movie. Great twist ending. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a superb movie. I love it so much. Great pick. Thanks. Excellent pick. That will definitely be <laughs> coming. Like, uh, Same. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. So number six, I have West Side Story, uh, which is really surprising for me as I'm making this list because I'm so surprised. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I. <laughs> I'm not a huge uh, musical fan, not in any kind of like w- like weird masculine way. I just, I've never, I guess that might be like in my I'm the subconscious same. somewhere. I, I, I just kind of ne- just, I get taken out of the experience when I watch people sing. Yeah. Yes. And especially actors are used to acting who start singing and that really throws you off because you've just never seen them in that, I guess, through that lens. And so... I think what's weird about West Side Story is that I just have, um, even though it is kind of like the Romeo and Juliet story, something about this movie and the way it's shot um, really emotionally impacted me more than I thought it was going to. When I got out of the theater, I was like, is this a top three Spielberg movie? It's dropped since like that time, but it really gets under your skin in that way, I think. And uh, I'm also an emotional movie watcher. I'm not afraid to admit it. I don't know whoever else is like that, but I do, and I do find myself, yeah, I'll tear up and then I look over to Kelsey and she's just chilling. I'm like, that's cool. Um, but uh, <laughs> Why are you acting like a so, bitch? <laughs> yeah, I think I have to, uh, I, I probably do have to note though with this movie, even though it's like very emotionally powerful for obvious reasons, I think uh, the reaction has been a little bit complicated because I think it's safe to ask whether or not Steven Spielberg needed to be the person who should be exploring discrimination in this way, which is interesting because West Side Story was like like written originally, I believe, uh, from Jewish writers. And then they wanted to kind of explore the immigration struggle for Jewish community and Irish community. And they wanted something more fresh, I think. So they replaced an Irish community with a Puerto Rican family and a Puerto Rican community uh, lens. And obviously like kind of like our country and where we are right now in the midst of like maybe trying to put our money where our mouth is. It's kind of maybe not the best move to not have an actual diverse storyteller, someone who is coming from a marginalized voice or lens in this movie and exploring the kind of Maria and Tony of it all. But even though all that is affecting, I think the discourse around the movie, I think understandably, it still is very emotionally impactful because I think it's like a it's a it's about a movie about a little bit of like a found family and a love that can't be and even though that is traditional i just don't think i've seen it done in this way that's so cinematic before i haven't seen this kind of like uh, a story that isn't trying to say anything controversial it's really just trying to tell a, two, a story about two people who are un, un, incapable of being together because of the world around them doesn't want them to be together and it just it got under my skin and i, I love it for those reasons great pick great pick excellent excellent all right, Kelsey, number six. What do you got? All right. Um, I also want to say that, yeah, Trey, that one really, West Side Story hit him hard. I, I was, okay, yeah, <laughs> we said it. We said it. We don't have to. Okay. It was, hey, it I was cried so nice, during but... ET four times. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I cried during movies. I, I think yeah. as I already knew the ending and, and he didn't, you know, going in, he was like, why are I you didn't... not like wrecked right now? Yeah, so that was the first time he had seen the story. Yeah, too. after like the third or fourth death, I was like, yeah. what is happening I, in this movie? I, yeah. <laughs> I'd never seen a theatrical performance or movie or the old movie. So like, I was shocked. I'm like, whoa, this is dark as hell. Like this took yeah. a turn for yeah. that I did not expect. But so I guess there, there are movies like that. For me, we saw Fruitvale Station, Ryan Coogler's first film, and yes. I was weeping. I couldn't stop crying all the way to the driving home for a half hour. I was, I was, I felt like I lost a loved one. So there's movies that 
can hit you for whatever yeah. reason. Manchester by the Sea is another one. Oh my one god! Don't time. even yeah. don't even tell me that. I've already yeah. turned up. We should <laughs> do like a another ranking. You know, the like no, top status movies. Cry movies. <laughs> yeah, Million Dollar yeah. Baby. It's tough. Credits roll. Oh, oh my oh, god. Man. Atonement. Oh yeah. man. <laughs> All right, let's just get the tissues out. Just cry for a little bit. <laughs> All right. So at number six, I have Saving Private Ryan. Um, and I think similar to I think you put it better than than I am going to, but. I think the the opening scene for this is really an iconic movie uh, moment. It's just like this really grotesque. Um, you know, I think of like the images of the red waves on the shore when I when I think of Saving Private Ryan, and I think it's interesting because the movie opens with that scene where normally in war movies we see the the characters first, we get to know them, and then we see this like really. Uh, horrific like unfathomable violence um and then we're, we're f- sort of like feeling empathy and then understanding this this commentary about war that the the writer or director is trying to make but the reason that i really like saving prior saving private ryan um is because it opens with that and then we see the conversations with all the characters and yeah. i love an ensemble cast movie anyways too so mm-hmm. um, but we see all the characters talking and no matter what like if we're agreeing with their viewpoint or not, or uh, just like looking at the questions they're asking, we know that they're all in the same situation. Like we know where, where they started from and we get the really bleak reality at the very beginning. And I, so I think that's so interesting and, and well done that we see that that idea of war war is hell, like right up front. Um, and then also I think as, as we go along rewatching it, I was really interested in this idea of like searching for Ryan and and the dialogue from the characters, like asking, why are we searching for Ryan? And then it like opens up obviously that, that question about like purpose and war, like what are we actually fighting for? Uh, Tom Hanks, which is a a tragic teacher death too. Um, Oh, you bet. I also, yeah. I want to know what Spielberg's thing is with teachers. I gotta, gotta look it up too. (laughs) Um, Like Indiana Jones. Yeah. But, um, but even Tom Hanks, right. The, the teacher, like, saying, how am I going to communicate this like day to day to my wife? And, um, and Spielberg also showing things like the American soldiers, you know, shooting people who were surrendering. Um, I think at the end, it does get a little confusing for me just because of the battle scene. Um, there's like something tonally, I guess that I, I confused me as far as like introducing this idea of like valor or heroism that I was like, wait, is this not what I thought the movie was going somewhere else? Um, it, it kind of goes to a more traditional battle scene to close. Uh, but regardless, I think it's a great war movie that is asking a lot of interesting questions, um, about like purpose in war. And that Tom Hanks death, I always forget at yeah, the end, every time I watch the movie at the end, I'm, it's always gets, it always gets me. So sad. And I'm actually going to bounce off that because I have Saving Private Ryan at number six as well. Whoa. And now what makes this war movie special, because we'd seen so many, there were so many realistic um, and authentic war films made, you know, even in the 60s and 50s, Stanley Kubrick's Path of Glory. Um, There's so many in the trench warfare and then also like Apocalypse Now. There's plenty of stuff that showed like realistic warfare. But what Spielberg did was he made the audience feel like you were a soldier. And he made he put you into the respect the perspective of these young guys, many of them 18, 19 years old, and they're sitting in a boat about to land on the shore and get destroyed by machine gun fire. And so many of them had absolutely no chance of getting out of there alive. And that's what I take away when I watch especially the opening sequence to see 
how many people sacrificed their lives, many of them not even willingly, they were drafted, but then also for those who survived, what they went through and how horrible these battles were, especially this one in particular on the on the beach. Um, but it's a, it's a war that had to be fought to, to, to distinguish this evil that was growing in Eastern mm -hmm. Europe and Western Europe. Um, but also, to, I think the film really commends and shows respect and gratitude to the hundreds of thousands of people who died for this war. And other battles, you know, they, they'll be shot mostly with wide shots, um, decent coverage. But with the technology they had at that time, with the handheld camera work, um, they were able to put the camera everywhere, whether it be on the actual sand, underneath the water, right over a soldier's shoulder. Um, I can't, I couldn't tell you how many cameramen they must have had working every take just to get all this coverage. But I do know it's what it had some of the most uh, film ever shot for a movie. All of the film mm -hmm. shot just for this opening battle sequence. And so for me, when I watch this film, it really, it really makes me understand what was done, what was sacrificed, and what was asked of young men who were who had to be put into this horrible situation and I, for me to this day there's no war movie that i feel that for than with this film and then for the for the finale battle i get what you're saying and just, I, I guess for me it's not so much depicting like valor and changing the tone but the whole point was they the guys were going to find this guy ryan and they're like okay we're gonna find this guy and bring him home and it's all bs but then when they find ryan he doesn't want to go and that's the, for me, that's like human spirit and the familial bond that people form and the willingness to decide to put your life on the line for something better and to protect others. And that rubs off on the crew and they decide to stay. So for me, when I look at the battle, it, for me, it's it's necessary for the story to really depict that humanity that we hadn't seen in the story because we saw our own soldiers killing innocent people and so much horrific bloodshed and unnecessary death. And then we find this guy he could just be like, okay, let's get out of here. I want to save my own skin. But what does he do? He decides, hey, I can't leave my new family. They're all I have left. So I'm going to die here with them if I have to. Yeah, tell my mother that when you found mm -hmm. me, I was with the only brothers I had left. And yeah. there's no way I was going to leave them. And yeah. I actually also have Saving Private Ryan at number Whoa, six. Oh, high five. So three of us. Oh, wow. Three of us, number six. <laughs> and, you know, war films have become so nuanced over the years. And, you know, so many have been so well made. But I think what Saving Private Ryan did was one of the first ones to really show the impact of war and show death and how and how tragic it is and like almost the futility of war in a lot of cases. And I think that, you know, we've seen that more recently this century, 1917, we get a bit of that. But also, I think the most recent one, All Quiet on the Western Front, the Netflix film, German film, they did a terrific job showing the loss of life, you know, the loss of life and, and how many lives are lost during such a big war, such a big conflict. Obviously, World War One was known. The world never seen a war like that before. But then World War Two, the bloodiest war of all time the, in the existence mm -hmm. of humanity and the tragedy involved with it. And it, it just really puts it into perspective. And, and for me, whenever I watch Saving Private Ryan, I'm just so eternally grateful for being born in the time and place that I've been born in and that we've been born in. Because like Anthony said, you know, some of these kids were 17, 18, 19 years old, going to war, yeah. had never really done anything with their lives. They got out of high school, drafted, going to war, and just waiting to basically, you're just you're just a body for bullets to, to take you out. And the, the I think one of the great themes of Saving Private Ryan is this loss of life and 
showcase obviously with the Ryan family how they've lost three sons in the family and they're trying to bring this kid home because he's the last one to carry the family name and like how Anthony said that like he's not going to leave he's not going to abandon the last brothers he has and you know I think it's about coming together at the end and, and that's how you you form a nation and how to stop evil and again I said earlier that like it shows it's an anti-war film that shows the necessity of when war is only the only option uh, left. only option left yeah. because if the if there's no mm-hmm. war, then it's the end of the world, basically, and the corruption of the world completely. So I think it's honestly one of the most powerful films of all time and one of the most important movies of all time for its historical accuracy. It should be a movie that everybody watches in their entire lives at some point. Maybe not if you're too young, but everyone should watch Saving Private Ryan to put life into perspective and put war into perspective. Getting all emotional here. <laughs> All right, let's, let's let's cheer up and move on to the next one. Well, actually, how about we'll take our intermission right now. Oh, that's a good break. We'll take time. our little break, yeah. and then we'll come back to our All final right, five because yeah. we have five left. Getting all heavy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's start our our intermission. We'll play our fun guessing games. The first one's going to be a movie quote competition, so we'll each say a quote, and we all have to guess it. So I'll how about I'll go first and, and kick this off? I think that's a great plan. So this is my movie quote. I'm going to be so bad at this. <laughs> For the last six months, he's gone to Harvard and Berkeley. I'm betting he can get a passport. I just did this the other week. <laughs> did you? Yeah, remember? <laughs> I forgot. Let's see if they can get it. Um, I know this because I just did it in an episode, but I'll do it again. Yeah, go ahead and. Is that the last six Good months. Hunting? That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. No, but it's, you sound like Matt Damon saying it. No, but I put a Boston. <laughs> I put an accent keep on it. Keep thinking Matt Damon. Yeah. The character has an accent. So for the last six months, he's gone to Harvard and Berkeley. I'm betting he can get a passport. The town? What do you think? Oh, it's uh, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah. <laughs> hand ready. Nice. Yeah. Hand ready. Nice. Hand ready. Yeah. <laughs> Good one, Kelsey. <laughs> you sound super Boston when you said it. Because he doesn't, yeah. he, he's not, yeah. he's like a city accent. He's got a New York, New York accent. accent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Knock, knock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you got your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you guys want to go? Uh, yeah. Sure. I'll go. You never had control. That's the illusion. I was overwhelmed by the power of this place, but I made a mistake too. I didn't have enough respect for that power. And now it's, I know this. And, and it's out now. And it's so out familiar. now. I don't know this. I got it. I'm trying to think. Should I do it again? It was yeah, kind do of a more, do it again. one more time for yeah. the audience too. All right. You never had control. That's the illusion. I was overwhelmed by the power of this place, but I made a mistake too. I didn't have enough respect for that power. And now it's out. I feel like I'm going to be wow. so bummed that I didn't get this. <laughs> it feels like a superhero movie it. or someone power. I'm just throwing me you off. You guys give up? It's not the prestige. No. It's not the prestige. I don't know. That is one That's great exactly what I was shit. thinking. <laughs> Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Sadler. Nice. Nice. <laughs> That's Dino, she's, yeah, she's talking stoppings. to him yeah. at the table eating. Ice cream is good. Spare no expense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Trey, um, what do you got? Okay. Making children disappear is the war we wage with God. Oh, it sounds familiar. It's it's not Spielberg. I I didn't come correct with the Spielberg quotes, but it's not Oh, you don't Spielberg. have to do like anything specific. I didn't do yeah. Spielberg. I just did okay. one for him. Okay. Can you say it again? Yeah. Making children disappear is the war we wage with God. I can give you a, I'm going to give you a second quote from the same film that might okay. be a little help here. Cause that is pretty difficult. You think this is going to lead you to the bodies? Cause I sure shit don't. 
Do me a favor, Captain. Go fuck yourself. I'm just going to take a guess and say the thin red line. Is it prisoners? It is prisoners. Okay. (laughs) It's prisoners. Yeah. Denevil knows. That's what my. Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. So yeah, it's an incredible movie. Is that the the woman who says that? Yeah. So it's Holly Jones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She says it to him in the kitchen of the war room. Oh, it's such a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What a great pick. Okay. Here's my quote. Thank you for your consideration. Hmm. Thank you for. It sounds like it's going to be a political movie, possibly. It's got political themes, but it's not a political movie. And it's not a Spielberg movie? No. Okay. Thank you for your consideration. I'm not sure. I can give you a hint. Woody Harrelson's in it. Um, mm. <laughs> the Hunger Games. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, nice. nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so after she shoots the arrow at the uh, group of uh, she is the apple. Yeah. Uh, the, the pig's mouth. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then she like bows. That was a great nice. guess. I was about to be a white man can't jump. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> great movie. All right. Yeah. Guess this movie release year, everyone. When did Taken Two come out? Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Ooh, well, wow. When did Taken One come out? I'm I'm going 2009. What about you two? What do you think? I'm gonna go 2011. When did Taken Taken come out? Taken yeah. One. I was gonna say. Um, I'm gonna go 2010. I'm going in the middle. <laughs> 2012 is oh, the answer. I think Taken oh, wow. was 2008. I yeah. think. Yeah. But Taken Two is 2012. Wow. Nice. Good old Liam. All right, Kelsey's turn. All right. Um, I did this because I felt like it was a movie that's similar to Spielberg vibes. Um, Gremlins. Oh, uh, 19... I'm going to guess 1983. I'm going yeah. 1989. I just watched I'll it, too. 86. It's 84. Oh, oh, you were okay. close. I know. Wow, that's so an old close. movie. Yeah. Didn't Spielberg produce that or not? Yeah, yeah wow. Yeah, he yeah. produced it. And so the movie, yeah. it op- I just yeah. watched it. It goes, Pre- Steven Spielberg presents, presents yeah. Gremlins. And then that Chris, movie still holds up. Chris Columbus wrote it, too, yeah, which is he wrote really it. Cool. it still holds up. I, it's scary. It's funny. Yeah, we just watched it, too, yeah. like last year. It's yeah, I watched it, I watched yeah, it on Halloween this year, and I loved it. I was like, oh, it's still good. It's a Christmas movie, too. Yeah. It's a Christmas movie, too. Yeah, like low-key Christmas movie. It's great. Man. Oh, okay. What year did John Singleton's Boys in the Hood release? 1991. 19... I'm going in the middle again, but I actually, this is my first one. I promise. Uh, 1990. <laughs> 91 was correct. Nice. Oh, yeah. There you so go. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Great movie. All right, Anthony. I got the movie. I didn't write down the year. Okay, white man can't jump. What's the? That's, year? that's funny that he just brought <laughs> yeah. that up. Can you, oh, believe that's the, can you believe they're remaking this classic? I can't. They're believe remaking it. it. Can't it's believe ridiculous. it. Ridiculous. I heard that. Yeah, I don't know how well that's going to go down. They should never. Not touch well this at movie. all. I'll tell you that. All right, nineteen eighties. <laughs> no, it's got to be nineties. Nineteen 
It's two thousand, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Not with that hat, bro. <laughs> Not the snapback. The snapback, no way. Nineteen ninety two. Guys? I'll say ninety four. Uh I don't know. Ninety one. Ninety two is correct. Great job. Nice. Great guess. nice. Right on the Love money. That movie, man. All right. Uh, let's move into the movie pop quiz. All right, everyone. In 1991, Steven Spielberg married his wife, who was also an actress from a movie he directed. Who was she and the name of the film? I know it. Wow. Current wife, know. too. They've been, married since, they've been married. Kate Capshaw in Temple of Doom. Yes, sir. Kate Capshaw. Oh, wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice job, Anthony. I figured you'd get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Movie pop quiz time. My turn. All right. What beer does E.T. get drunk on while <laughs> young Elliot is at school? Oh, is that Miller oh I, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So hold on, I'll let you guys. Is it? Um... Well, I'll say my guess. It's Coors. Oh, okay. I'm going to guess yeah, I was Miller. Gonna go Miller. I'm going to go Miller. Coors is correct. Oh, nice. 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 <laughs> Do we have points for this game? Scene. You're like... We should, yeah. It. yeah it's it's like Coors. Now you want points. It's like the classic Coors. Like Coors, the banquet beer. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I think Coors is light. I'm sorry. I always forget that. that There's I always so much forget product that Elliot is like that. getting yeah. drunk in that scene. Like when, I was a kid, I didn't when I was a kid, I didn't understand that. Um, at all but then as but then as like a teenager and older when you watch it it's just yeah, so yeah. funny <laughs> it's great okay let's see so steven spielberg once said that one of the following movies was quote the film that set me on my journey end quote which of the following four movies set spielberg on his journey a the godfather b lawrence of arabia c 2001 a space odyssey or D, the French Connection. I gave us an A, B, C, D here to help us yeah, out. Yeah, I like multiple choice. Okay. Ooh, I'm gonna go Lawrence of Arabia. I'm gonna go B. Okay, Lawrence of Arabia. Okay, I'm going Godfather. Good guess, but it is Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, nice. nice. Oh, three in a row. I, you can feel I that. that. I think I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're ready. He calls it. Uh, he calls it a, like uh, the miracle of cinema. That movie. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Great question. All right, Anthony, finish us off with the uh, oh, yeah. pop quiz. <clears throat> what was Woody Harrelson's character name in The Hunger Games? Oh, what's his name? Hamish. Um, Hamish. Yeah. Hamish. Yeah. Is that what it? Okay. Yeah. 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 Nice. A lot of Hunger Games cues. I love it. We, yeah, I did a um, Woody Harrelson theme today. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> I love the first Hunger Games movie. The first that one's good. That one's great. First one's good. So know, great. So good. Great books too. All right, All right, what's your streaming recommendation, Jim? My streaming recommendation is going to be Training Day, which is on Netflix this month. Nice. I have Marathon Man, uh, Dustin Hoffman's great film, which is on Amazon Prime. What about y'all? Cool. Does it need to be something that you don't rent, right? Like just streaming? Just anything streaming, yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to go with All My Friends Hate Me on Hulu. Um, it's like a psychological thriller, dark comedy and it's don't look anything up just watch it it's right. really fun yeah short movie um and kind of just like explores the idea of of self-reflection and a lot of like m millennial anxieties 
Yeah, you guys out. would definitely re relate to the anxiety that we felt watching that. Mm. Um, I was going to say Barbarian, but I feel like Barbarian's gotten so much love uh, like this week to go watch that on H HBO Max. So I'll just throw mm. that in there really quickly. But currently on Paramount Plus, and I think Showtime is one of my favorite films from last year, The Novice, uh, directed by Lauren Hathaway. It's kind of like a whiplash meets the detail ori oriented like David Fincher. So I would definitely check that out for anybody who that speaks to. <laughs> Thanks for the rec. Yeah, awesome. I'll check that out. We also have some unsubscribes today, and we have a hater. So we go oh, a real hater. So, we do a, so I don't know if you, yeah, we do a thing where it's like an inside joke where people like unsubscribe from us and they leave like a sarcastic <laughs> comment, but it's really like they love us. So it's like a, it's like a fan. But you have a real joke. one as well. I have a real so hater. So we'll do the edition. fun ones first. Oh. So Jonathan Sidler in our movie poster giveaway contest just commented, unsubscribed, what more needs to be said? <laughs> Funky Beepo also wrote in the giveaway, if you don't pick me, I will unsubscribe. And then uh, Rice Scott wrote, boys, great list, but how did the Benchwarmers not even get an honorable mention in your baseball episode? Unsubscribe, crying face. Sorry, bud. Deacon Beam, <laughs> best basketball movies or unsubscribed. And then Cash Cocktails. Oh, we forgot about Bad News Bears, I see. Unsubscribed. <laughs> I didn't make the list. <laughs> well, speaking of, are you still going? I got one more. Yeah. I posted a video of Robert Redford and Brad Pitt, uh, how they look a lot alike, and then I'm that dude man commented, making me question my heterosexualness. Unsubscribed. <laughs> We've done that in a lot of episodes. Yeah, yeah. We bring up Henry Cavill a lot in his jawline. Yeah. Um, but uh, to compound off the baseball ones, we got a two-star review and it says baseball movies. I'm sorry, but the baseball list was so bad. We, we did have best baseball movies of all oh time. Oh, my God. Uh -huh. A, a two-star review. We were talk and so we were talking about the Red Sox too much. You sound like you're from anywhere but Mass. Uh, I love baseball movies and you made them sound so dull. Okay, sorry. we are from Mass. Oh, wow. uh, we grew Jeez up Louise. there. I'm sorry you don't like our list, but I mean, um, we we also like great list. Also, we put a lot of work yeah. into that. Also, anybody who's putting two stars, like just just calm down, guys. Come on, yeah, just man. give some love, give some support. Move on with Five your life. stars yeah. only. What are we talking <laughs> at least, about? At least do the one if you're gonna do. We it. talked about the socks. For <laughs> yeah, like three if you're gonna do it. <laughs> but we did a segment yeah, of like away. of great stories in, in baseball that could be great movies and like a couple with the Red Sox Yankees rivalry would be cool movies. Babe and, Ruth like, is Babe Ruth yeah. getting traded. So we were talking about the Red Sox mm -hmm. because they're so relevant to great stories in the history of baseball. But anyways, he's gonna leave another review. We're talking too much about the Red Sox hey, man, right now. If you're gonna do it, just leave the one star. <laughs> no need to do the two. <laughs> Before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at Patreon.com/slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Get awesome perks like personalized videos, messages, $10, $25, and $100 tier patrons get access to our Discord where we interact with you every day. We have watch parties. We're doing the Sandlot tonight, which should be a lot of fun. And when last we, week, we filmed, uh, so November 10th when we filmed this, <laughs> November 10th Sandlot, and then $25, $100 tier patrons get their own custom episode, and $100 tier patrons, you're the chosen ones, you also get your own personal watch party, you are an EP at the end of every episode, main episode, you get a credit and you get to hear your name as an executive producer, and after three months in that tier, you get to come on the show for a fun guest segment, Patreon allows us to do the show full time, so thank you so much for your support around the world. Today's episode is sponsored solely by our friends at MoviePosters.com, the best place to get your posters online. Head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order today. They have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster library, as well as all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting for your poster needs. So if you need to deck out your space with movie poster fandom, go to MoviePosters.com, and of course, use our promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order 
today. All right, that wraps our intermission this episode. Now let's get back into our lists. I feel like we're getting into the heavy hitters now, yeah. top five. And so... Yeah, these um, are all really good. Yeah, number five, starting back with... Trey, you let us off, right, for this list stuff? Yep. All right, so go ahead. So number off. five. <laughs> I like that list This off. is tough. <laughs> uh, number five with my list off, I have Schindler's List. Uh, this is a... It's just an incredible film. I mean, um, I I try to always start off with critiques that people have with some of these movies so I can get into the good stuff, but like there's really not much to critique about this movie. I mean, some people have said that like Spielberg maybe sensationalized the Holocaust or made it like a popcorn movie. I don't see that at all. This is just such a like a um, just disturbing watch and weirdly educational, which some of his movies sometimes are, but this one definitely and it's sort of a gateway to, I mean, maybe he just does this in general, but he's sort of a gateway to wanting to know more about the material in his movies. Like he often kind of portrays a moment in history and it makes you want to go and investigate that a little bit further after you watch it. Maybe that's just some of my favorite directors that I haven't like reflected on, but he definitely does that with Schindler's List. I also couldn't spot like one b- bad performance in this movie or one poorly constructed scene or a moment to check my phone, even though it's three hours plus long. I thought going into this movie when I watched it the first time that it was going to be a struggle to get through a three-hour movie about something uh, as disturbing as genocide. But this movie does a, a, a really smart thing, which it, it follows dialogue through most of the movie that is kind of like pressing to the story. And then it really, you know, in that second act kind of picks up the disturbing nature of it and you're already kind of immersed into this world. Um, so you're never kind of seeing yourself check out at any moment. And, um, you know, to me, this movie is kind of like, on the surface, obviously the tragedy, but also acts as like a documentary, but with its characters and what they symbolize is I think what really makes this movie special because you have Schindler who kind of represents this like privileged kind of like elitist and he's turning his nose at terror throughout the movie and how he's kind of linked to that terror and the consequences of his inaction. But where the movie uh, is like succeeding is the way that he kind of feels this internal guilt at the end of the film. And you have, you know, all these people that he's been trying to help toward the end of the movie kind of try to support him and let him know that he did his best, but he knows and the audience knows that he could have done more. And I love that as a lasting message in this movie. And that's something very difficult. I'm sure it was very difficult for for Spielberg to, to make a movie that is exploring these kind of themes. So, uh, you know, it was difficult to to not put it in my top four, um, but it's at number five because I just love the next four and they mean so much uh, to me because I've watched them so many times, but this could have easily been a number one on anybody's list. It's great. It's a great pick. It's odd that like, I don't know if it's like the internet age in social media, but people are less willing to accept allegory of tragedy Mm -hmm. in the past and history and art and, you know, movies are the greatest art form of all time. And Yes, you can learn about the Holocaust and genocide in books, but how are you supposed to un- really truly understand these horrific things that have happened without movies like this, without Schindler's List, without Same Pride Ryan, without Hotel Rwanda? How are we supposed to really understand what genocide's really like if we've always been protected from it, especially like living in America? We don't have to worry about anything like that happening in our country, but it happens around the world every day. So it's odd when people are, mm-hmm. refuse to to watch movies or think it's like, trying to take advantage of that situation when he's just trying to tell a story to make us understand what happened and to try to learn from it. It's it's basically an artifact of history. You know, it's a, it's a time capsule. Yeah, and I, I highly doubt that yeah. the uh, surviving members of the list who at the end of the film place a flower on the grave in the family members think that it's sensationalized. So maybe the critics should talk to right. them about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah, and I also have Schindler's List uh, at number five. 
And I, I agree. Like I almost, I wanted to put it higher, but on for the other movies, I just rewatched them so, so much more. Um, but this could, uh, you know, go a lot higher because it's, it's such an important movie. And for the reasons that you are, are all already said, like, it's just devastating. Um, and the performances are great. Like you said, Trey, um, but it really does a, a great job of like looking at the, the horrors like that humanity is, is capable of. And, also the dialogue, it almost, it almost didn't feel like a Spielberg movie, um, in, in some ways, because I, I was like, okay, I didn't know he could really go this heavy. Yeah. Um, because all of his movies have this like wonder quality, right. in this lightness, but he really shows this like dark, um, and like absurd dialogue of blind power, um, through, through the characters. And also I, I think with, um, the, the ending, it's, it's just something that, well, I mean, throughout the whole movie, obviously, right. There's like really, um, it's just a heavy movie. Like you sit with it, uh, for so, so long after, but the end where Schindler says, you know, I'm a criminal and he is talking about all the people that he could have saved with his material belongings. Yeah. And I think like ultimately, right. The movie is important because it's, it's touching on that, like guilt and agony that Schindler has, um, because it, it's asking us to also look at like how we are all implicated. Um, so yeah, I mean, just such an important movie. My number five. Yeah. It's really powerful when he's like, there's like, uh, I think he's putting, he says like this button could have saved two people Mm -hmm. or like this thing he had on his, you know, material body. So that was great. Yeah, the, well, the thing with the strength of the film is uh, the character transformation. I think it's one of the greatest character transformations ever put on film um, mm-hmm. and stories ever told. Um, but at my number five, I have Jurassic Park, just to lighten Let's things go. up a little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. This was uh, not only was it an incredible story by Crichton. It's a great book. If anyone hasn't read it, check it out. But this movie was groundbreaking in terms of really showcasing the power of visual effects and CGI. Um, and this is the first huge ma- major scale production using visual effects in this way. And Spielberg being the genius filmmaker he was, if you look at it, it looks like CGI level I- uh, animation on a sci-fi channel show. But the way he framed the shots, very wide. Throw the dinosaurs mm-hmm. in the distance in the background. A few close-ups, but for most of the close-ups, we're doing practical effects and practical pieces and animatronics. Um, and obviously, I think the most, I think one of the most impressive visual effects ever put on film this it might be the number one is the t-rex attack at the storm on the cars and to this day it still holds up miraculously and he's smart he's like this is a long sequence how do i film it and make it look good nighttime lots of rain you're not checking out to see how accurate the visual cgi is and that it really works but the story is incredible the actors and cast are all just legendary perfectly cast in every role um it has Probably John Williams' top three scores. That theme is remarkable and just mm-hmm. lifts me up every time I listen to it. Um, there's so many good things to say about the movie, but I really do think it's it's groundbreaking nature and use of filmmaking and technology is its greatest asset. Really great points, pal. Thanks, great man. Points. My mm-hmm. number five is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Nice. What? Oh, you're telling me to stop. I'm E.T. Oh, sorry. I can see how I adore this movie. It's so well made, so well paced. 
And, you know, when, when Elliot flies for the first time with E.T., it, it's one of the most emotional I've ever been in a movie theater. After, I've, like I said, I've seen the movie 20 times, then we saw it in theaters for the first we time. We cried tears of joy. I, I was weeping at this moment of pure <laughs> magic, all practically done, which is so incredible. And John Williams' score, I think it's top five in his career. It's absolutely sensational and not talked about enough. I, I love it so much. And, you know, what John Williams did to that movie, it's it's the music he brought to it is more important than any of the of the movies that Spielberg may have done, whether it be, you know, Indiana Jones, the music is so important. Um, Saving Private Ryan music is really important. But I think with Indy in Jurassic Park, obviously, but with E.T., the music just, it takes it to a new level, just like Sorcerer's Stone he does with the music. The in ending with Clark. the drums. Incredible yeah. score. Yeah. Uh, incredible visuals. Great performances, performances from the children. I love E.T., I feel like it's a movie everybody has seen, everybody has to see. One of the greatest children's movies of all time. And it's just, it's like all, it's all practical. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's real. Little E.T., Elliot, Elliot, like running around. It's, it's hilarious. Like if it was made today, it would all be CGI. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's just yeah. a, a relic of of movie magic that will never see made again like this ever. And I just love it and adore it and can watch it anytime. Well said, Anytime. man. Well said. Great pick. We saw it in IMAX. It was lit. Oh, my God. It was amazing. <laughs> but oh, like wow. the, the score at the end, and then it cuts to black, and it's just like, oh, my God. The I, chase, wa I wanted to jump up and go like, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the chase scene, the bikes, you just feel like a kid like you never have before. When the kids, when the cops are chasing the kids on bikes and we were watching it, I was literally crying because it was just like so, like we've said before, the wonder, the, the magic, the, the brilliance of it. And it's just like, it was just so joyful. So joyful. Yeah. Henry Thomas is Elliot when he's crying at the end of that. Oh my it God. It gets me every time. Yeah. It's like shattering uh, yeah. when he does that. So yeah, that really stands out. It's a great film. Um, okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> um, number four for me. Uh, this is... This was tough. Number four and three, I could switch back and forth. I think number one and two are pretty locked up. But number four for me is Catch Me If You Can. I think uh, this is John Williams' weirdest score, and I really appreciate him for that. This is like a very – it almost feels like a Pink Panther kind of score. It's its really interesting uh, what he does with this movie. It like felt like that one was opening, too. Yeah, the introduction, yeah. the opening is one of the most – Yeah. Yeah. One of the most rare – Well, the thing about that is – sorry to interrupt. He actually started out his career as a jazz pianist. Oh, so this okay, is so actually this sense. is the most John Williams score there actually is. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. well, I wish he would just keep coming back to that. I love that. <laughs> uh, I um, yeah, John Williams holds this movie. I I feel like we should say John Williams's name like more on this pod just because I think uh, Steven Spielberg is obviously iconic, but John Williams is like, you know, holding a lot of these movies emotionally down. Like he's really keeping people in their seats, just like investing these movies with, with what he's doing with these scores. And Leonardo DiCaprio is just on one throughout the whole movie. Like he, it might be his, I think it's my favorite Leo performance, uh, which probably is surprising to some listeners because he's got, you know, great films. He's won Academy Awards for different movies. But, um, you know, I think next to uh, probably Wolf of Wall Street, this is my favorite Leo performance because there's so many layers to this. I mean, he's playing so many different characters. You know, he's having to kind of act in this sociopathic way throughout the movie that I can imagine must have been incredibly difficult. I actually don't think I see that kind of like subversive acting until Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again from him, which I just really love. Uh, and I think Catch Me If You Can is probably Steven Spielberg's most anxious 
teenage anxiety kind of movie. Like you can feel all of his anxiety and maybe uh, the way he was disillusioned from his teenage years to his adult years in the movie. Like there's kind of like this idea that the American dream might not be real or is fading for a lot of people in the middle class around this time period that's being set in. And that also maybe your dad is not actually a good guy just coming to terms with that and reflecting on that, which is very relatable to a lot of people. And I really don't know why we didn't get more of these from Spielberg because it is such an odd it does stand out I think as an outlier um, tonally from all of his movies Um, and I think weirdly it's also kind of one of his most offensive movies like it's really kind of like a provocative movie for him because no one is sort of safe he's critiquing all kinds of people like from average family members to like entrepreneurs and business and bankers the federal government and fbi and he even is critiquing jocks in school and their substitute teachers there's so many people he's kind of poking fun at uh in this world he's creating that i don't know it's just something that really stands out for me and i think the through line of the movie being you know um, something that is very uncomplicatedly smart which is like the greed and exploitation of this like American dream philosophy caused this broken home and broken family is just pretty genius. Like he really goes for it because you can feel him kind of when he is like kind of provoking people, like some of my favorite directors do. And uh, like, I guess Denis Villeneuve comes up to mind because prisoners, like when you feel that kind of like push from the director, some kind of push back a little or kind of, take off a little bit of uh, you know power on there at the end because they want to keep all the audience members happy. And this one just, I think, pushes all the way through at the end and seeing what happens to Leo's character is pretty tragic. And that's really what this is. It's a tragedy about childhood struggle. And it's just incredible. One of the best movies I've ever seen. So glad you put it that high up on your list. And just to go back to John and the jazz, we didn't really get much jazz until like Prisoner of Azkaban. He got really jazzy with that score for a few oh songs, God. which is really cool. But I love the music to Catch Me If You Can. And you, you can't find it anywhere except for YouTube. It's not available. You, buy it. you can't yeah. find it on Spotify, Apple. Oh, wow. That's why it's like, I don't know, maybe it's like his most precious score. He doesn't want anyone to get it without paying some, for some it. kind of rights issue. Some, something going yeah. on, but you can't listen to it on Spotify or anything. I wish we got more of him on HP because I think third one was his last one, right? Because we're big yeah. Harry Potter fans. Yeah, it's a big tragedy to lose yeah. him. What a what a damn yeah. shame. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kelsey's next, right? All right, yeah, number four. All right, so Minority Report is number four for me. Um, I feel like this is Spielberg's kind of like Blade Runner movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he it's one of his darker movies, and I. There are moments where I like wish it was darker even, but it's it's still like Spielberg kind of like light and I appreciate it for that too. Um, but I think like like you all said, um, what we were talking before, it's just such an amazing underrated sci-fi movie and it has everything that I want, like mystery, thriller, sci-fi, and kind of the concept of like private interest manip- manipulating the justice justice system um, is great. Like the pre- pre-pre-crime and the um, Department of Containment, like yeah. run by Tom Cruise and Lamar. Like I always forget that it's a private industry, you know, um, and and that it's only been running for like a couple of years and, and it's in this like test run. But ultimately it's like private interests manipulating um, this, this idea of like justice in the society. And so, uh, I think the moments that like Tom Cruise, this is really a great Tom Cruise movie. Um, but you feel Spielberg too in it where, uh, like Tom Cruise is running down the hallway to like catch his eyeballs. Like, um, <laughs> that's where those like light things kind of come in. Those, uh, but yeah, I just think overall, like love this movie. It's one of my most watched Spielberg movies. Uh, great Tom Cruise performance. And it also does a great job of like highlighting um, 
some larger like contradictions in society as well as being a really great like thriller thriller mystery where we find out like uh you know a whodunit at the end Mm-hmm. Great pick. Great What's pick. great about it also is the technology, even though that movie was, what, 2005 that movie came out or something like that? The technology still yeah. seems futuristic in a lot of ways with, like, the eyeball scans at stores and the, the, spiders. And the cars and the spiders. So it still holds up where it still is a distant near future movie, even though it's been 15 years, 20 years since it came out. Couldn't agree more, man. <laughs> All right. My number four <laughs> is what I think is the greatest children's movie of all time, E.T., uh, I think yeah. there's, uh, for this film, it has a magnificent amount of heart and love put into it. And you feel that when you watch it. Um, like I said, so much joy. But he also blends in like really great um, horror. There's some scary moments in this film, especially for kids. Um, but I think that's important. I think it's important for kids to not completely be sheltered. And it's important for them to see scary things in movies. And the world can be a scary place. And I think Spielberg understands that and puts that into a movie that's made for children. Um, E.T.'s design, the relationship between he and Elliot, uh, the other kids are phenomenal. Uh, There's so many memorable and iconic scenes in this movie, and I've seen it so many times, so many times. And like we said, when I watched it in theaters again a couple months ago, I felt like I was watching it for the first time. And that's really because of the power of the filmmaking, of the music, of the craftsmanship, and of the story. And... I really felt as much joy and love in a theater than when I watched E.T. as a 32-year-old man. And it made me cry, <laughs> cry tears of happiness. <laughs> I can't think of another movie that made me cry because I was so happy, um, really, honestly. And I think it's a really powerful, magnificent film. Really well said, Anthony. Really well Thank said. Thank you, James. Yeah. All right, my number four <laughs> is a movie we've already talked about plenty, Schindler's List, but all the things we've talked about so far, and plus it's so powerful and the performances are so good. Liam Neeson is phenomenal as Oscar Schindler. Yeah. And obviously, you know, everyone loves Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards, but there'd be no Hans Landa without, without Eamon Goth. That character is heavily inspired by Eamon Goth for sure. And Ray Fiennes, mm-hmm. he's proved himself to be one of the greatest actors for villains of all time with Voldemort. But Eamon Goth is probably just as evil, if not more evil, than Voldemort in a lot of ways. And he's so great at playing villains he can just tap into it somehow and it's the great antagonist and representation of the nazi party in the movie to show this just like evil doc indoctrination and what's happening to the world and in genocide again it's important to watch powerful movies and dark movies and movies about the past and history so that we understand what it was really like because again you can read about it in a book all you all you want but i think something about film visual media that really gets you into the shoes of of both sides of the story of what really happened and just so you can really connect mm-hmm. with it. So 100%, important. 100%. All right. Yeah. Number well three. Number three, I have Minority Report, which is, I think I probably have this the highest on the list. I think everybody has said Minority Report, but uh, yeah, I think this is probably his most, I think this is Steven Spielberg's only, one of his only political movies, if that makes sense. There is like an actual political argument in this movie, whereas like when he's showing the travesty of war that seems like more of like an objective take like war is terrible it is the worst thing that humans can do to one another but i think this is his most like uh kind of postmodern political argument in a movie and he's kind of also in his philosophy bag like you guys mentioned like he's talking about free will versus determinism like really heady things and even though there's hints of that in jurassic park it's really fascinating because he kind of took a i think kubrick was supposed to do this movie and he did take that kubrickian kind of like stance with this which i really appreciated 
And, um, you know, the observations and themes made in this movie, I think deserve a three hour podcast, like the anxiety of oncoming surveillance state technology, the prison industrial complex, the department of containment, like Kelsey was saying, it's sort of a dystopian nightmare, but it's like directed, like it's in the near future Mm -hmm. and it's done so in a way that again is still Spielberg like, which is just not pushing you too hard because it almost looks like the whole movie's in a dream sequence. Like a, it's a nightmare of a movie, but it does feel like it's in a dream because of the lighting in this movie. Um, and what the cinematographer does so well with Spielberg's movies, even the way the precogs kind of represent artificial intelligence, kind of dictating the future of humans. There's so much to pick apart. I think minority report combined with AI artificial intelligence is basically, uh, Spielberg exploring his Ridley Scott, you know, alien Prometheus Blade Runner themes. And I, I really wish Spielberg would give us more of that. I hope after the Fablemans, whatever he's got coming up in the next few years, if he can still keep banging these movies out every other year, he gives us some of these more sci-fi dystopian films because I think he's so great at them. And also with Tom Cruise, I think it's probably a top 10 Cruise performance too for me. So I just, I love this movie. It's, it's one of the best underrated sci-fi movies of the century for sure. With the uh, visuals, and it's been like that in a few Spielberg movies with his cinematographer. It's a bleach bypass, and so they they don't dip it okay. in bleach, and that allows it to have it's it's desaturated, and that's why the highlights glow, and because they're doing the mm-hmm. a bleach bypass. And um, certain some filmmakers always do it. Some filmmakers like to use it every once in a while. But Saving Private Ryan has that same quality. Bridge of Spies, Half Blood um, Prince. That's Half Blood Prince yeah. did the light bleach bypass. Yes, the, yeah. um, so that's what that effect is. It's actually something they do um, after the fact, and it's just a really simple technique of chemicals. It's, but it looks amazing. Yeah, I, something threw me threw it off about me as a kid. I just it didn't look like any yeah. other movie I'd seen, so I wasn't exactly. really into it growing up. But I think now watching it, I understand thematically why the choice is yeah. made. So I, I just mm-hmm. love it even more for that reason. It's like the most unique tone of all of his movies yeah. the, of Minority Report. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to explain. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's difficult. Like I said, it deserves a three-hour pod. (laughs) Absolutely agree. I love that you put a top three. All right, Kelsey, you're next. All right. So I have uh, Catch Me If You Can at number three. And uh, I think like this, I said that Minority Report was his Blade Runner movie. This is like his Oceans movie. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. His Soderbergh movie. Yeah, I love Oceans. it. That's so great. I love the trilogy. Yeah, uh, yeah we so do amazing. Too. Big Soderbergh heads here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's great. Um, but he's great. I also like the the idea of the interpersonal relationships um, that that go on in this movie. Like kind of like you were saying, it's his his teen angst movie and and leo is so great in it um and i think he's like the perfect person to to play uh frank but i i think it's like the movie while it's so fun to watch it's one of the most rewatchable movies to me um of spielberg and and it's like kind of like a christmas movie um like at the end there in the saddest way possible we're always talking about christmas (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Um, it's a great so, lonely Christmas movie. Yeah, it feels yeah. like nostalgic, and um, but I think ultimately I, I love this movie because it's about expectations. Like, it's the movie that that he makes about like the stories parents tell their kids and how kids try to play adults, like within those expectations and kind of like the, these ideas of myth and power. And uh, rewatching it recently, my I think my favorite scene is probably when Frank Leo goes in to talk to his dad. Uh, Christopher Walken and th- there's this tragic conversation where um, about like parents living or 
parents living through their children. And Leo gives like this emotional performance and he's like, dad, like tell me to stop doing this. Like, tell me to stop. And the dad's like, no. And, and asks him instead, like, where are you going? And hoping for this exciting like answer, where are you going tonight? That question he keeps asking him throughout the whole movie. Um, and I just, I love that. And I felt like it kind of captured this idea of the movie, like such a heartbreaking scene where, uh, you know, he, he is trying to meet his dad's expectations and his dad's trying to live through him. And, uh, there's just like this idea of Frank realizing, um, like what adulthood is like. Um, and, and then also, also of course the heartbreaking scene at the end where he looks in his mom's window at Christmas and, and figures out that, you know, he doesn't really have any connections besides like Hanratty, uh, chasing him. Yeah. I actually, I, I'm going to piggyback off everything you just said, because I also have it at number three and nice. everything you said, I agree with completely. And what makes this story really special is the the true life nature of it. And it's unbelievable nature because the, he's just a kid. Well, he's 15, I think, mm-hmm. when he started. But what he mm-hmm. what he did, the amount of money he he scammed out of the government, the different careers he had. And he wasn't this trained, highly trained individual. He didn't know how to do any of this stuff, but he just did it, and he just acted. And it's such, it's such an, a fascinating person to have, uh, in such a fascinating story. And Di- DiCaprio, I think, was the only actor who could have done this because he can play the 15-year-old, insecure, innocent little kid, and then he can play the confident con man. And it's like, you believe it completely. But I think it's what mm-hmm. a miraculous story. What a fascinating life this guy lived. Um and then again with his cinematography and the blocking of scenes there are so many great long takes in this movie this might have like some of his most number of long takes like scenes that last one two three minutes sometimes moving into different environments um and it's just the cinematography is incredible and as it's a long movie but like it flies by every time i watch it and it's so enjoyable and i can quote it and i know every beat by beat but still I can just put it on and I'm just transfixed by everything I'm seeing the whole time. Yeah, sorry, Trey. Mm-hmm. Me, Anthony, and Kelsey are just in sync here. We're all number three with Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> Dang, but you, I should have kept number, it there. You had number four, right? <laughs> we did that with four, Sam yeah. and Ryan too, yeah. right? Yeah. I think that yeah. Catch Me If You Can is Spielberg's most underrated movie. Not that it wasn't successful, made a quarter billion dollars at the box yeah. office, but when people make their lists of Spielberg, I hardly ever see Catch Me If You Can even in the top five, sometimes not even people's yeah. top tens. Can you believe that? It's so well made. It's so That's fun. Nuts. It's kind of it's kind of funny when you look at like Spielberg with Catch Me If You Can with Leo. It's kind of like Scorsese did it with Wolf of Wall Street with Leo. It's kind of the same similar mm-hmm. character yeah. as someone exploiting people, but we have an innocent kid doing it versus some guy who's just taking advantage of a system. <laughs> um, and, but he yeah. and, and he's stealing money from people, yeah, whereas yeah. this kid stealing money from the government. But it's a very yeah. similar kind. They're kind of connected. These stories. They're really interesting character studies on just these people who took chances. And you know, Frank Abagnale Jr. However much of the story is true or not, you have to like take him at his word for a lot of it. So a lot of the book is like I heard sensationalized, but the facts of it are there and it's just a really stranger than fiction story like you can't make mm-hmm. this stuff up that this kid became a pilot a doctor a teacher a, a lawyer professor, a lawyer and he wasn't it wasn't even an adult yet it wasn't even a legal adult he did all this by the time he was 17 years old in the movie it feels like such a huge epic in terms of like it feels like so many years have passed but then you remember he gets arrested and in, in, when he's 17 years old he's yeah, still a kid still not a kid. that much time has passed but this character has gone through so much maybe the most interesting one of the most interesting lives 
of all time in the history of humans in the 20th century for sure, Frank Abagnale Jr. But it also has like kind of a happy ending where he ends up getting out of jail and working for the government. And you find out he's become very successful. He's not a criminal anymore, but he's helped protect people's money and protect the government's money, which is really ironic. And, you know, one of the most uh, intelligent and uh, innovators when it comes to like check technology and security and, and, and money technology. So it's a really fascinating story. It's so well done, and, and Leo is phenomenal, and I adore it. I watch it once a year, can watch it anytime. Mm-hmm. I, I love it so, so much. I wish more people talked about it because it really yeah. deserves to. And again, John Williams' score is so energetic and fun and, and light, and it's it also feels like a classic Hollywood movie at the same time. It's just such an incredible story. Gushing. Look at us gushing. <laughs> the cast is stacked. <laughs> yeah. And Christopher Amy Walken, yeah, Christopher Walken looks just, just like our dad. That's why I love it, too. Christopher uh, Walken is amazing in it. <laughs> He's amazing. And then uh, Martin Martin Sheen's in it as well. Amy Adams. Amy Adams is great. So, so good. Love it. And I feel like a lot of people link Steven Spielberg's childhood and kind of like meme that almost to like all of his movies. But this is the one where I think he's almost deconstructing his own success as an adult, where he's kind of like, he feels like he scammed people in his young 20s. Like, I think he's Mm. made, you know, Jaws or the earlier, like Duel, uh, Duelist. Is it Duel was his first film? What is it, Duelist? Duelist is Scott. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, right. And I think that uh, I think he was like 22 when he made that something like that. And, you know, thinking about him in his 20s, you can imagine because we don't have many directors in their 20s working today making getting big budgets for movies or anything like that. It's very difficult to not because we don't have good directors out there that are in their 20s. It's just very hard to have connections to do those kind of things. And you can see how this movie is like him kind of commenting how he got people in the seats by kind of scamming him to think, you know, scamming them into thinking that he was a genius in his 20s, which I mean, he ended up being one like cinematically. But um, (laughs) I just I like I like how this kind of like lines up with his career too a little bit in a weird way. I, I do love watching it from that perspective perspective okay number two is that right we're on number two let's do it so number two i think uh you know this movie is probably the one i've seen the most out of all steven spielberg's movies this is jurassic park uh jurassic park you know the themes are obvious the man versus nature the technology the power and greed kind of like killing us and uh the found family of it all. There's some really good stuff to chew on here. But my first thought when I think of Jurassic Park outside of the dinosaurs is actually the characters. I love all the characters in this film. I think Dr. Ellie Sattler is probably the most, like the coolest character from this movie that I always think about. Like there are not many women in Steven Spielberg's movies that get a lot of context or have a lot of interesting dialogue or lines to read off or interesting arcs in general. But Laura Dern, I think delivers one of the most interesting kind of iconic performances for a woman in a Steven Spielberg movie. And there's great kid acting in this. Ian Malcolm as Jeff Goldblum, or Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm. His, <laughs> Basically his work guy. is incredible. Same person. Basically, yeah, literally the same guy. Yeah, forever. Um, and uh, yeah, everything he does in this movie is fantastic. And um, that quote he has, obviously, the, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Like, all of that is a lot to chew on, but also it's just really cool to watch that conversation on screen in this kind of, like, really dark room about what are we really doing with these dinosaurs? And it almost feels like a precursor to Minority Report in a lot of ways because of that. It's probably the film that I think makes Spielberg a global icon. And it connects people through his background, his storytelling all over the world from different backgrounds too, which is kind of his primary goal is just getting people in the theaters all across the globe to be inspired by movies because he really is kind of that middleman between uh, seeing a blockbuster film and then going deeper into cinema, which I love about him. 
And like I said, every, every performance is great. Every animatronic CGI perspective, like you guys were saying, is great. The score, it's all phenomenal. It's, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, I think I've seen this one probably like 50 plus times. Great choice. Yeah. It was our favorite movie as, yeah. a ki- as kids. Our mom always said we yeah. used to watch it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll go ahead because uh, Jurassic Park is also my number two. Let's go. Yeah. Nice. Um, I think it's, yeah, for, I, I also like thought of the quote to the Jeff Goldblum, um, you know, they didn't stop to think if they should. Um, but I think also like, this is the, the only movie where I like cry at a fake dinosaur, you know what I mean? Just like on a hill. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm so overwhelmed <laughs> when they first, uh, come up on the Jeep on the hill and, and see the dinosaur. Um, and it, it has a lot to do obviously with, with the score. Um, but yeah, some, I mean, similar to, to you, I guess, the the idea of the characters, they're so full and, and great. Like one of the best scenes is just when they're all having lunch um, with Hammond and, and talking about like the idea of, of him not earning the knowledge and, um, and yeah. just not taking responsibility for it. Like Laura Dern, I think at one point talks about how... Uh, he has like poisonous plants in the building and uh, just because they look good or like Jeff Goldblum talking about the idea of like him creating this to put it on a lunchbox. And so all those conversations are really interesting and it's also just a really fun rewatchable movie where you really care about the characters and the, the characters are so iconic. Um, yeah. I, I love Jurassic Park. It really reminds me of uh, Jordan Peele's Nope and the kind of commodification of spectacle like this, like that was definitely inspired from Jurassic Park and that's just like littered throughout the whole movie. It's so great. Yeah. hundred percent. You're up. Oh, my turn. Yeah, you're up. Actually, fun fact about that. Spielberg, he directed Schindler's List and then immediately went on and started directing Jurassic Park. And so he was actually directing Jurassic Park while editing Schindler's List at the same time. They both came out in 1993. Yeah, crazy same year. Insane. So he would do like, he would like look at dailies and then talk to his editing team video Mm -hmm. conference. And then he'd go direct scenes of Jurassic Park, which is crazy. Icon. Yeah. Yeah. So number two. Wild. Yeah. (laughs) So they couldn't be more different. And I actually do have Schindler's List at my number two. Um, I think it's nice. prob- I think it's the greatest depiction of that era and that war and that tragedy. Uh, the choice to film it on black and white, um, like I said, I think the Schindler's character arc is one of the greatest transformations we've ever seen on film to go from someone who's trying to profit off war to someone who is willing to give up everything he owns just to save one more life. It's just a really stunning and tragic and uh, deeply heartfelt transformation for that character. Amon Goth, like you were saying, um, the the antagonist of this film, what makes it so mm. great is that he feels like he's a, a movie villain, a fictional villain. Like he he's so evil and so cruel, like it can't be real. Like it just seems like someone, a character someone wrote, but he was real and it's very accurate to what he was really like. And that's what makes the movie so scary that a person like that can exist in, in our world and have that kind of impact and uh, like you said, it's a great representation for the overall Nazi party in that entire movement. Um, I think it's one of the most emotional, difficult movies I've ever seen. It's hard to watch, but I, tr- I try to watch it once a year. And even though it mm-hmm. is long and it is tough, I find myself just completely enraptured and engrossed in, in the film. I can't look away. And by the end of it, I'm just weeping, sobbing mess every time. But it's really profound. 
and I think it's one of the most important films ever made. Yeah. Now, my yeah. number two, I'm guessing, is everyone else's number one. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh wow. My number two is Jaws. I don't think we've talked about it yet. We haven't. Yeah, so, yeah. so Jaws. No. Yeah. Unless you guys got a sleeper. <laughs> no, I don't, not, not me. No Jaws has got to be in everyone's top ten. Jaws is one of the, the greatest movies of all time. It's the original summer blockbuster, Changed Cinema Forever. This movie that was a doomed production that shouldn't have succeeded, that should not have been as good as it was, somehow Spielberg at 27, 28 years old made a masterpiece of this troubled production of filming on the water and these sharks that don't work and kind of accidentally stumbling on one of the greatest suspense stories of all time of, you know, this great now thematic element of not showing the monster too early, which a lot of filmmakers have definitely learned from with Jaws where you don't even see the shark for an hour into the movie almost and then finally we see it and you know it worked to great effect and one of the most entertaining movies of all time and it's kind of like two movies put together where we have the first one's like all on land but then the second half of the film is all on the water on the boat on the orca the most memorable trio of characters i've seen in a movie of all time i think i mean i love all three of them they're all so unique and different and then you know the great irony of chief brody who's afraid of the water and wants to yeah. try to stop the shark and is on a boat and he's, he can't swim and it's just it's just phenomenal what an ending in the animatronics it works it still holds up today this bruce yeah. the shark that just goes around and opens its mouth they had three different sharks on set for different shot sides and it's incredible and it, it, it at you look at it you're like it's a fake shark but you're still watching the movie you're like it's incredible. oh my god yeah it's incredible at the same yeah. time yeah yeah but i adore this movie it's one of the best movies of all time. It could be the greatest movie of all time. It's up there. It's just such a tremendous film execution. I'm sure you're all about to talk about it now. Yeah. So do we? Do we all have it? The three of us have it. Number one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So yeah, yeah. you guys go. go through it first. Uh, that was a really good breakdown. I don't know what else to add besides the fact. I guess I'll say a little bit about the theme that was really interesting to me as a kid that even hit me as like a preteen. But first thing I'll say is my favorite movie of all time is Alien, uh, Ridley Scott, and I think. Jaws is always right behind me saying, are you sure? Like, are you sure? Alien is your <laughs> favorite movie? Like, you sure about that, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yes, I'm sure Alien is my favorite movie. I have to like tell myself all the time. But um, Jaws is just incredible. And it, I mean, for every reason that you said, and it has just like an incredible, like subtle critique on or, and plays with satirical threads of greed and uses, uses a small beach town with its mayor as like a a microcosm for society at large. And it's one of those movies that I think is essential to watch before watching anything new. Like, you know, we don't have kids, but you know, hopefully when we do one day, I'll definitely be like, you know, you think this movie's good one day and then be like, well, we're going home and watching Jaws. And then you'll <laughs> never think another movie is good probably. Uh, and that's kind of like the weird pill to swallow with Jaws. You watch it and you're like, I don't think ever any new movie is ever going to feel the same. Um, you know, and there's so much taken from Jaws in American cinema today. And I think it's only... You know, I think it's probably only Spielberg's one masterpiece. I think maybe next to Schindler's List, it's probably his his two major movies that are that are always going to live through the test of time and maybe even Jurassic Park. But it's a perfect movie to me. It's inspired me to love movies in the first place. I don't think either of us would maybe even have a podcast if it wasn't for, you know, Jaws or movies like this. And, uh, you know, I just I love this film. I love talking about it. Yeah. Um, also, I, I think like. So I never understood why Trey was so afraid of the ocean until <laughs> I saw Jaws. 
we we've been together for like 10 years and i saw it actually the for the first like time in college <laughs> and whenever we go to the beach like trey would not he's like i'm i'll go in the water for a second but i'm out and jaws makes the water so scary i'm more of a tanning guy <laughs> yeah. now i don't really yeah <laughs> yeah um and then also like uh i don't know if you all went on the ride when you were younger yes. the jaws ride yeah yeah absolutely it was terrifying yeah um but yeah i mean for for same similar reasons like the the movie also hits different in like during a pandemic you know and um the idea just like an alien that jaws isn't the the real villain or the xenomorph isn't like the yeah. real villain it's it's the idea of or the theme of like people valuing greed over human lives yeah and so yeah i think it's like you know like a perfect movie um the idea of of like the the kid being killed in front of everyone and then the town hall, everyone says, you know, wait, we're going to close the beach or, you know, the mayor obviously um, talking about how they need summer dollars for the 4th of July uh, because they're a summer, a summer town. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the scene also, right, where like the mom comes to Officer Brody and, and says like, you knew that there was a shark out there and you let my son die anyways. And so I think there's a lot of really great, like dramatic scenes. Um, and I like that it's also kind of a slow burn and the dialogue feels so like earned and the, and also the, the reveal of, of Jaws feels so earned. It's, I mean, it's just a, like a close to perfect movie. It's, it's so my number one. interesting that Spielberg is known to be the most like sentimental blockbuster director working right now. But at the same time, I've never seen a director like ha show children or, you know, older teenagers being killed in a movie before, like at this yeah. rate, like in so many of his movies are such disturbing imagery uh, that just haunts you. And, and Jaws is, is one of those. Yeah. Uh, Jaws has been one of my favorite movies since I got interested in film, like actual film and learning about it. And, and it's a movie that I kept going back to. And the more times I watched it, the more I was like, this really is one of the greatest things ever made. And it's really due. It's all because of Spielberg and yes, John Williams score adds so much to it, but I think that every, every single choice that Spielberg makes as a director in this movie is perfect and it's the right choice. And there's not a moment in this film that doesn't work perfectly. There's not a second in this film that isn't just amazing, uh, whether it be the simplest things from uh, Brody and his son copying each other at the dinner table. Um, and again, use of long takes like that dinner table sequence, for example. Yeah, it's a, I think a three and a half minute shot from when he walks in with the wine they sit down and talk and it just doesn't cut and the, he moves the camera around and then there's a bunch of other shots outside and like the direction of the film is remarkable and so many great old filmmaking techniques but also to pull off the nearly impossible feat of not only shooting on the water but making it great it could be the greatest made movie of all time like not just because not just like I mean, 2001 is up there because of the production and the sets and everything. And and there's other films that are just like incredible. But like when you look at the direction of the movie and all of the, the decisions that went into every moment, beat for beat, it really is like absolutely pitch perfect. And I mean, I adore the film. It's always been in my top three for a long time and it's not going to move. I re and I love watching it. It's one of my most watched movies of all time. It's hard to talk about in two minutes, but like we did a whole episode last <laughs> month and it yeah. was just like one of my favorite episodes we've done 
um, to just like talk about it for two hours. Same. Let's not forget uh, Johnny Dubbs won an Oscar for the score yeah. of this movie. John Williams iconic, one of the best movie <laughs> scores of all time, and it's phenomenal. Um, and I I think Jaws is Spielberg's best movie for sure. But my favorite Spielberg movie is number one for me, Raiders of the Lost hey, Ark. I think it's one of the nice. most entertaining movies of all time. Just the way it makes me feel when I watch it. I've seen it like 30 times, but every time I put it on, it's like I'm watching it for the first time again. And it's just like, it's like hanging out with an old friend. Just makes me feel so happy inside. And I love the story. It's incredible. I think Indiana Jones might be the coolest character in, in cinema history. I think he might be cooler than James Bond. I love James Bond, but I mean, he's been yeah. done th- 27, 28 times, but like Indiana Jones is There's like- There's only one Indy. I think he's still cooler than James Bond, Agreed. in my opinion. I love Indy so much. He is a superhero. He's Clark Kent. He's Superman. But he's just, he's just a man at the same time. And I love archaeology, always have since I was a kid, and history, and just that concept of just like discovering things like raiding tombs and history in general is fascinating. And I just love it so much. And the relics involved, the, the lost, the Ark of the Covenant, it's just fascinating. <laughs> and, you know, I, I love it so much. And I got to put it number one. Great pick, man. Put number one. The namesake. The namesake of the show, you know? <laughs> wow. I like everyone's list. Yeah, it was great. Everyone's yeah. a little different. That it was, was great. a lot of the same movies, but rearranged in different orders. Mm-hmm. And um, I like to see how people have different preferences. Yeah, so much fun. Well, yeah. thanks for coming on the show, guys. Uh, go ahead and plug your show yeah. again everywhere. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're the Extra Credits Podcast. And like we said at the top, we just try to find meaning and the deeper themes of all the movies that are coming out and all of our favorite movies and our listeners' favorite movies. And we try to have directors and writers on to talk about those different films. And we've had a lot on recently, and we're going to continue to do that. And podcast guests like yourself, they're going to come on and talk about some of our favorite movies and your favorite movies. So that's what we try to do there. And we try to really tackle some observations or arguments that are always made in movies and have kind of like long discussions about them. Like I think we just did like a two and a half hour pod on Prometheus and Alien Covenant with Ivy wow. Duck. Like yeah. we've, we've done a lot of different things uh, that are a lot of fun, I think. And, you know, if anybody's interested, you can go check us out at the Extra Credits Podcast. Yeah, Very thanks cool. for having us on. Yeah, thank yeah, you guys so much. It, yeah, it, was a, it was a ton of fun. Oh, social media, yeah. you guys, I, I, are at the Extra Credits Podcast. Yeah, mm. at the Extra Credits uh, or at the Extra Credits Podcast on basically all social media platforms. And like I said, TikTok, you'll see me. Not Kelsey. She leaves me in the dust with that one. It's just my face uh, talking about movies. She's like, don't you have a TikTok to do today? I'm like, okay. Get on I guess it. I'll go do one. Get on it. I can't yeah. wait to talk about Last Duel with y'all. Yeah, so we'll, this yeah. will be airing on November 21st. We'll be on your show sometime okay. in November or December. It'll be a lot of fun talking about The Last Duel. Again, thanks for coming yeah, on yeah. the show. Can't wait to come on yours. And this has been a blast. Everyone go check out the Extra Credits podcast. Take care, everyone. See you next time. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, Anthony DeMeo, John A. Graz, Becca Keene, Cody Moen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Cam, and Chandler Johnson. Thank you so much for supporting our show. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.